Let's go. I'm ready. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Oh, see, can you see? That was pretty good. California. Keeping up with the Coens, an OC box set rewatch podcast. Hello and welcome back to Keeping Up with the Coens. This is officially episode number four. My name is Ryan Drake, coming to you from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I would like to start off this evening by saying hello to Chelsea Trinidad. Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, this episode uh, lineup for you is pretty awesome. I mean, I think it's some of the most memorable episodes in the series. Thank you, Chelsea. I would also like to say... Good evening to Dylan Irwin. Oh, well, good evening to you too, sir. I too am excited about this disc. It's the Sandy disc, and you know how we feel here about Sanford Cohen um, on Keeping Up With The Cohens. And so I'm really excited to dig into these episodes, especially because one involves Thanksgiving, which, you know, we record these in the past, but we're right at Thanksgiving week here in the recording timeline of Keeping Up With The Cohens. Not only is it Thanksgiving week, it's our, it's like our it's our podcast launch week. We've been recording for like a month now, but uh, our podcast officially launches this week. Uh, and you can find us on on things. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and whatever else Dylan put us on. Probably some dark website. Yes, yeah. we are on Backpages, um, as well as <laughs> Spotify, Podbean, and uh, fingers crossed, guys. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, you'll also be listening to us on Apple Podcasts. They have a very long we got, and strenuous Hey, we got the process. email. We got the email today that we're approved on Apple. Well, you know what? Then I have nothing else to worry about. I'm pretty excited about it. That's some that's some BTS content you just got. Not the K-pop band. First of all, great band. Love BTS. Secondly, now that we're live on all the platforms, you can find us, you can review us, you can rate us. Unless you don't like us, then don't do that. Just ignore us. I mean, it costs you guys nothing to mash that follow button and send us a like. Just saying. So, we are going to begin disc three. Disc three? Disc three. Disc three. Of uh, season one of the OC, the Sandy Disc. Uh, we begin with episode number nine. It is called The Heights. And in this episode, we have Sandy Cohen on screen for 14 minutes, which is kind of a come up for him. Uh, so, Dylan, tell me about The Heights. The Heights originally aired on November 5th, 2003 to 7.52 million viewers, which sounds like a lot, but that's actually a drop of almost 2 million viewers. This one was Big written. Drop. Yeah. This one was written by Deborah J. Fisher and Erica Messer. So let's talk about it. Yeah, that surprises me. I wonder why it dropped so much. I feel like a lot of people tuned in to see like the re- the resolution of the Marissa like overdose storyline, and they probably were unhappy with the fact that really nothing happened. They're like, oh, okay, we're done with the show now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the episode. All right. It's the kids' first day at Harbor High School. Um, Ryan quickly realizes that Seth and Marissa actually have a very robust extracurricular life. So feeling a little left out, uh, he decides he needs to pick up something. And um, being an athletic guy that he is, he goes with soccer. But oops, Luke is on the soccer team. And after seeing, <laughs> accidentally witnessing Luke and Marissa share an intimate moment after school where Luke apologized and even cried a little bit, Ryan takes out his frustrations of the situation by actually charging Luke on the field and gets into some pretty big trouble. Uh, Seth is over here, still pining for summer, and Anna steps up to help him try to get her. It's really not too different from the plotline of Some Kind of Wonderful. Anna flirts with Seth, she acts possessive with him, and she even kisses him in front of Summer. 
The strategy appears to work, but a forlorn Anna talks to Ryan about how she's sad that Seth doesn't seem to notice her as the cool girl crushing on him that she is. Uh, later, and we'll talk about the specific quote, but Ryan actually encourages him, her to use the same advice that she has given Seth, and it kind of leaves it open like that. Meanwhile, in adult world, Rachel pitches Sandy on a court case that protects the Balboa Heights uh, Nature Preserve, which actually Kirsten's company, the Newport Group, has purchased and planned to build McMansions on. Apparently, the land trust picked Sandy specifically to represent them, because of his politics, history, and a particular affinity for the Swamp Bros. Uh, the story kind of ends with Sandy deciding to take the case and Kirsten accepting the decision. Anna kisses Seth uh, right in front of Summer, and Seth still believes that it's all just a part of the act to get Summer. Um, and the episode ends with Ryan hopping on the Ferris wheel and with Marissa, despite his huge uh, fear of heights, to confess his feelings, and it ends with them finally having their very first kiss. All right, there's a lot to unpack here. I love this episode so much because name one other episode of a television show that opens with a scene of a whole bunch of sea lions and ends with teens kissing on a Ferris wheel. There is no other show that does that. Okay, that's hilarious because I wrote in my notes, sea lions, that's cute. <laughs> Wait, what was the sea lions? I don't even remember the sea lions. The first uh, shot. In the establishment shots where they're showing Newport in general, they go over this beautiful rock formation and they're just like a dozen I completely miss I completely miss that. Wait. My first note just says cute, dope, rad, mad props. And I don't even know what that means. Oh. I think that's what they said. <laughs> yeah, whenever they're talking about Seth is Seth is cute or he's rad or all that stuff. No, dude, sea lion were they sea lions or were they seals? I still don't know the difference between the two of them. Jenna's an emoji now of a sea lion. Seriously? New iOS update. Yeah, brought it all home. Yes. So this is kind of some of the first uh, scenes where we get to see them in a school setting. Um, first, The first thing I noticed is, holy crap. Surrounded by 300 Lukes, apparently. Everyone looks like Luke. Everyone looks like a Holly or that Jess girl. Like, there's a lot of kind of, like, petite blondes with uh, pastel polos and denim skirts. The thing that really stuck out to me were the girls' purses. I know this is going to sound ridiculous, oh. but Marissa is literally just casually sc- strolling through school with a $7,000 Chanel tote on her shoulder. Dylan, growing up in the mean streets of Lot in Oklahoma, what was the most expensive article of clothing that you like either bought yourself or made your parents buy in high school? Hmm. I think probably... I know mine. I think it was probably one of those uh, really, really thick Abercrombie and Fitch sweaters that were like 150 mm-hmm. bucks or something like that. <laughs> and they were mostly a picture. Yeah, it was mostly moose. Um, but then senior year of high school, I got really into like designer jeans. And so I had a pair of like 200. What? Yeah, I had a pair of $210 true religion jeans. Um, <laughs> and since then, I have rejected my former self and I just wear Levi's now. I totally ponied up $200 for a pair of true religions or forced my parents to. I don't know. I was really, really into the Rock and Republic jeans. Um, and then I had those William Rass jeans, like Justin Timberlake's company. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a jean Ooh. jacket. Oh, I, uh, you did not have a, a denim uh-huh. pair. Of, oh, my God. I had a William Rass jean jacket. but So, actually, this conversation brings up one of my notes that I have because at a school like this, I feel like what you have on your arm, be it a person or a bag, really determines your social hierarchy. And I can't lie. I mean, you know, Summer says, so your boyfriend cheated on you and you almost died in Mexico. And that kind of explains why people are being weird. But 
what even is the social hierarchy of this school? We're led to believe that Marissa is the most popular girl in school, but I only ever see her hanging out with Summer and not talking to anyone else. There is like a 10 second random shot of her wrapping up some like meeting with a bunch of people, but that's literally it. Um, I just want to say that I did at one point on the, on like the week before I started high school, I made my mom buy me a $100 pair of jorts from the buckle. I just want to say that. <laughs> yes. The buckle. Oh my God. That was the, the only buckle. place you could get lucky jeans too. Dude, the buckle's such a weird place. Like, what even was that? Like, what is the buckle? I don't know what they sell. They don't have their own brand. They just, uh, whatever. Well, I hated it because um, all of the workers there were commissioned. So you'd walk in and you would just like- Did not know that. Leave you alone. Yeah. Oh, I knew it. I avoided the buckle because of that. Like, I just want to shop in peace. The buckle was like, it was almost like an affliction store for people with a graduate degree. Boy, that is that is that should be their slogan. I mean, that is such a rare aesthetic that I'm here for. So yeah, we we see them in their elements. We see them at at school rocking their fancy clothes. Um, Doctor Kim yet again comes in clutch. Marissa is feeling really mm-hmm. insecure about her situation. You know, she had the whole cotillion event. Her dad is in the newspapers. She OD'd in Mexico. She's embarrassed, and Doctor Kim sits down and gives her. Some really earnest and kind advice and just, you know, basically, it it was almost like a Don Draper line when Don Draper said, if you don't like what they're saying, change the conversation. Her exact quote was, people are always going to talk. May as well give them something good to talk about. Let's give them something to talk about. How about love? Dynamite input, Dylan. Thank you very much. The other part I thought was kind of interesting was Brian's at a brand new school and he gets to choose a totally new activity to do. And Seth and Sandy kind of riff on, like, wait, he's not a Cohen. He might actually have some athletic ability. What do you want to do, Ryan? And they have a whole good time picking out what his activity is going to be. And that kind of begs the question, what did you guys do in high school? What was your extracurricular activity? What clubs were you in? Tell me the scoop. I was in high school band, and I was in bands in high school. Wait, what instruments did you play? Saxophone. Shut the fuck up. So what you're saying is we now also have a Keeping Up With The Coen's official band with a saxophone player, a guitarist, and a killer vocalist. Oh, oh That's yeah. Right. Or you know what else I do really well is I uh, play that little triangle piece. So I'm really good at the tambourine. Oh, I can play drums. I play drums too. What? Yeah, we got a whole thing going here. Oh, yeah. I love it. I, um, All right, we got a whole thing going here. We're going to start a band. We're going on tour, guys. <laughs> Keeping I... Up With The Coen's. We're not even going to do the podcast anymore. We're just going to call our band that. <laughs> I love this so much. I um. So I played, I did student council and only student council until senior year. And then I decided that I wanted to do more because why not? And so I played soccer, ran cross country, started a comic book club, and was in an under oath cover band where I was the singer and the screamer. Oh my God. You were in an under oath cover band? I'm still, we're going to talk about this offline. I have a million questions. It'll take too much time, but oh, that's amazing. So I was a class officer every single year since like seventh grade, I think um stuco was kind of baked into that so i had to go to that stuff even though i didn't really wasn't super involved with it i did show choir every single year we, we started a club called jets which stood for jinx extreme table sports um we started another <laughs> club called scat which stood for students students causing awesome together but then the principal made us change it because she was like scat is like a sexual act yeah she's not wrong we were like i just thought it was whenever you were like ba ba dee ba ba dee ba uh, well, I mean, you could do that during scat as well, but yeah. 
Okay, I'm sorry. Derailed. Let's talk about the OC. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that Ryan, that um, even before Ryan went to soccer, he was like with Marissa, and he kept trying to get like they, he kept trying to get her to like ditch school. Like day one, he's like, "Let's get out of here. Let's just quit. Let's just go." I didn't know that skipping school was just like a regular thing to do, especially when you are brand new to the school and the other one of you is some kind of important class officer social chair. Uh huh. Like that's a strange <laughs> instinct to just be like, "Oh man, we have school. Let's go skip." Like, I thought He's that was not strange. taking the Cohen's kindness very seriously. And I think <laughs> I that's thought. what irritates me the most about Ryan's character. Because Marissa brings out the worst in Ryan. And then Ryan is just like, I don't care what this family has done for me. All of this stuff. I'm just going to try and be cool and skip out from this private school that I am going to for free. I mean, to be fair, I probably would have felt the same way. If I, if I was his age, I wouldn't yeah. understand like the gravity of the situation, probably. But it's still infuriating. Also, he's 25 in real life, so <laughs> <laughs> of, of course he didn't want to be a freshman yeah. or sophomore. Yeah, the real life Ryan Atwood in this episode was closer to our age than he was the age of the character he was supposed to be playing. Wow. Yeah. Oh God, don't don't send me on that rabbit trail. Now now I'm feeling all weird. Um, so this episode is also kind of interesting to me because Anna is very much helping Seth uh, try to land Summer. Well, Anna's back. Anna is back. Triumphant return. That's right. Um, while we're talking about her, I'm going to go ahead and give it the uh, outfit of the episode. We did it. We got there. Anna's pretty big on layers. And I want you guys to watch out for this every episode we watch um, from here on out. She's always layering a tank top or spaghetti strap or a weird, like, you know, piece of lingerie over top of a regular shirt. It's kind of strange. She did not put lingerie over a shirt, did she? Yes, she does. We will get to that episode later in in five five more whatever. But um, she's literally wearing a tube top over top of a black long sleeve shirt. I just thought that to be a very peculiar look. I feel like it, it was, it was, it's like the only time I've ever seen an outfit even close to that is like when someone is sarcastically trying to show they're not breaking dress code. And I feel like that's Anna's entire life. <laughs> that's her energy. Yeah. So I got to say, I came into this podcast with a lot of Anna energy. Like I like Anna. She's cool. But I got to tell you guys, this time around, I found her very annoying and meddling. It's because we figured out that she's cute. Now we don't like her anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah that's I forgot. Right. We did do that. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> I did some digging and I discovered that the actress who plays Anna, it's weird how like the people who played like specific people in the OC, they are very liberal characters are actually not in real life. And the people who played more conservative characters, like Luke in real life is like the most liberal dude ever. Uh, Chris Carmack. Oh, he is and, woke as fuck. Yeah. And he's, awesome. I guess he's a, he's still super handsome. He's like in a band with his girlfriend, I guess wife, maybe. Uh, but all, yeah, Samir Armstrong is like super conservative, like QAnon conspiracy, conspiracist. I got to say too, there's not a nerd minute. There's not a comic book minute in this episode. Thank there are very God. few comic book minutes in this episode, Woo! but I will Woo! say that I love that we're getting our first Magic the Gathering shout out. Um, Ryan, did you play Magic the Gathering? I actually, I did actually. I had a, I didn't play as much as I was more of a collector. I did have a Black Lotus stuff, which, by the way. Oh, I had a, it was a collector's was a black, edition Black Lotus, but yeah. dude, I was a Black Deck guy. Crick, son of Yogmoth, is Bay. I am so glad that Seth plays MTG. And for those of you who are interested, they actually just released Magic the Gathering Arena on um, iOS, so you can play it on your Mac. Um, and you can win a whole bunch of money, but you have to beat me and you have to beat Ryan first. That's not true. And then also, they didn't sponsor that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're sponsored by Manscaping. So I kind of. <laughs> 
just talk about how Anna Anna's strategy to get Seth to like her by helping him get Summer. It's a little manipulative. It's a little Does manipulative. That work? I, I don't know if it works. I, I can't say that I'm above it. I'm sure when I was in high school or college, I've tried some strategy along those lines that probably failed miserably. But the line that she tells Seth is, um, she says, girls like to be chased by guys who aren't into them. And later, Ryan, who doesn't know that she says that, repeats those words to her when she is kind of, you know, a bit forlorn that Seth isn't into her. And he says, guys like to be chased by girls who aren't into them. I'm not sure if that's great advice. Clearly, uh, she is not at the place where she wants to be when this episode ends as Seth's terrible wing woman who's not doing her wing woman job. So the plan definitely worked, to I think, to um, Anna's disdain. Um, I think she thought she'd kind of sweep him <laughs> off his feet and just let summer go be summer. And it ended up actually working in a way that she didn't expect it to. Um, I didn't put it together that Ryan never heard her say that to Seth. So he actually said it to Anna without knowing that there was like a kind of a theme there, which I think that's pretty interesting. Um, Also, I feel like when you are in high school, that is good advice. But good Charlotte tells us that girls don't Don't like like boys. boys. Girls Girls like like cars and money, money, but boys will laugh at girls when they're not funny. When they're not funny. Poets. So poets, the Madden brothers. (laughs) How does that fit? That's our first. That's the first song that we're covering in our new band. Oh my god! Just good Charlotte songs. Just just that song over and over again. I mean, I think their first big hit was "Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous." It came out. It's on TRL every single day, and they immediately start dating Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton. That is the ultimate rock star move. We stand kings. Remember that song, Little? They had a song called Little Things that was like their kind of breakthrough hit before they blew oh, up to a huge yeah. band. Dude, Little yeah. Things was my I, shit. That's, that was on a, the Dude, Where's My Car? Dude, Where's My Car? Yeah, yeah a, totally. That's also the song where they're talking about riding the bus and one of them goes, 55! And the rich kids had convertibles and we had to ride the bus. 55. Like a time. That's so right. So I know that they, yeah, they rode bus number 55. Right on, Good Charlotte. Yeah, we have yeah, big Good Charlotte heads here. <laughs> Charlatans. Yeah. Uh, God, oh, good yeah. song. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess another big part of the ending, of, there's two other major components of the ending of the episode. First of all is when Sandy goes and tells Kirsten that he did decide to take on that case against her company. Uh, this uh, disc is filled with Kirsten being melancholy. And, she, you know, there's a great moment. She's kind of sitting in the hot tub by herself drinking wine. Kirsten always has yeah. her wine. That's my favorite uh, they, scene of the entire episode. They play, and this is not the music moment of the uh, episode, but it certainly deserves a shout out. Um, it's they play Don't Give Up On Me by Solomon Burke. Mm-hmm. This song makes a reprisal uh, towards, you know, in an episode later in another season, which I think is Wait, cool. do you have the note that, wait, do you have the same note that I have about this? Because it's also, it's not the uh, musical moment, but that song, Don't Give Up On Me, Solomon Burke, Sandy talks about how he enjoys it. Uh, that was the lead single of the Peter Gallagher solo album that came out in 2005. It's his cover of Don't Give Up On Me. <laughs> what? I did not yep. have that note. I will put a clip of that in here as well. <laughs> For the love that I never ever shown Just don't give up on me I, um... Since we're talking about parents, the B-plot, if you will now, there are two very important things that I want to bring up and two very important things only. First of all, it is absolutely a conflict for Sandy to take that case. It doesn't matter if the client waives it. Sandy can still not take the case. There's no rule for lawyers that you have to take every case. You can say no if it's going to 
I don't know, affect your relationship with well, your I wife. I think he wanted to take one. it, though. Yeah, he wanted to take it. He wasn't forced to. He was excited about taking it. That's that's what I think is weird, that he wanted to take I don't he know. He wanted but, to beat um, Caleb. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But the second thing, perhaps the most important thing. Go ahead. I was going to say, I love that it was on the front page of their paper. <laughs> that was like a breaking news story on the front page of the newspaper. Was them. <laughs> she goes, it's in, in the paper? You know yeah. Rachel leaked it. You know she did. It was 100% um, Rachel. I, the reason I've been kind of a little bit scattered this episode, like more scattered than usual, is because Boy. I've been upset with Chelsea. Um, <laughs> Same. Since we talked about Anna. And oh, sorry. Anna's I thought layering. it was in general. Oh, I mean, oh. In, gen- in general, too, but, but more so specifically this time, because there was clearly a true outfit of the episode, and you just completely ignored it, and it was Uh-oh. Tate Donovan's pajama set. Tate Donovan uh, equals Don Draper pajamas. So that's my personal. I don't have my own horn, so I'll just go. Yeah, no, I don't know, Dylan. I don't think you can do this. This is kind of Chelsea's domain. (laughs) Okay, well. It deserved a shout out. We're going to have multiple outfits of the episode, just like we have multiple music moments for this episode. These these are four very crucial episodes of the series. Can I just say outfit of of the episode regarding our specific episode that we're recording right now goes to Chelsea as well for her. This kind of tracksuit situation. I'm wearing a head-to-toe leopard uh, tracksuit right now. It's cool. I'm feeling my Carmela Soprano uh, fantasy right now. Looks great. Uh, That leads us to the final, final moment. Marissa and Ryan hop on a Ferris wheel together. Actually, it's more like summer trick what what happens exactly marissa's on there and then anna pays off the guy ryan runs up and tells summer to like move basically shoves her out of the way and just hops on the ferris wheel with marissa and then anna's the one that pays the guy to keep it going so he's there at the very top of the ferris wheel and ryan just looks like he's in pain he's squeezed his eyes shut and he's it's basically the most emotive that ryan gets maybe throughout the entire series but he pretty much says like i want this to work it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. This needs to happen. And she's kind of like, oh, you know what I can do since you're scared to distract you? And she just starts kissing him. And as soon as they start kissing, then the elevator start, the Ferris wheel starts to move again. And in that moment, they play uh, Paint the Silence. Mm-hmm. The actual music moment of the episode by South. This is the real music moment. Um, it makes reprisals throughout the series also. And it's always kind of like special to Ryan and Marissa in the course of their relationship. It does show back up in season three when she makes him a mix CD. Or he, he finds the model home mix, I think is what it is. The, and he the plays it in home, season three and it uh, plays a, like a second of Paint the Silence by South. And he like turns it off immediately because by then he's over Marissa. But great song. I will say like this song is one of the two or three songs from this show that I was introduced to from this show that have gone on to become like major, major like parts of like my life and like favorite songs ever. Like South is this song is one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, and it's because, and I was introduced to it through this show. Um, I know like one other song by South, so I know nothing about that band. I just know that I fucking love this song. And you bumped that, uh, OC mixtape in your, in your 16 year old car. My 1999 Chevy Cavalier that I forcibly put together my own subwoofer for, so you could hear it coming from like three miles away. Is this (laughs) the most iconic moment that we have seen so far? Do you think in the OC? Mm, I think the, I think the overdose. I think the overdose is more iconic than the Ferris wheel kiss. I think when people think of the OC, they think of him carrying Marissa. Well, do, do you know what the great thing about us disagreeing on the podcast is? 
I feel like anytime you, I feel like anytime that you set something up like that, you're about to launch into a comic book minute. So I don't want to no. answer. You. <laughs> no, you're you're going you're going to eat you're going to eat your words. So the, the rhetorical lawyer. question, the answer is: if there's a disagreement on the podcast, you all can help us resolve it. Remember to follow us on social media on Instagram at, at Cohen's Pod, and make sure to follow us or excuse me to email us at Gmail at Cohen's Pod at gmail.com and let us know what is the most iconic moment in the first season of the OC. Yeah, that's episode. That's episode Well, I wanted nine. to mention, uh, well, thanks. Chelsea's like ready to go home. Chelsea's like, I'm ready. I want to go home. Let's I'm like, get okay, this done. let's go. I wanted to mention a couple of things that we, that we glossed over a little bit was um, Ryan and Luke on the soccer field and Ryan overhearing Luke and crying to Marissa. The soccer field thing was pretty intense. Um, I wrote Ryan kills Luke in all caps. That was not a clean tackle, by the way. <laughs> right, but like him, so like Luke cries to Marissa, and then Ryan just stands her up because she sees him around the next day. She's like, "Hey, I tried to call you. I tried to find you." Like that, she was fine with it. He was just like, "Yeah, sorry, I was busy," and like she was fine with that. And then she goes to meet up with him at the soccer field. Ryan kills Luke on the soccer field. Almost gets like expelled. Almost gets suspended. And like this is all just like swept <laughs> under the rug by Sandy, who's like, "Hey, do better." And it's like, dude, this is this is like week one of school. Oh yeah, and then later he runs into Luke at the carnival. And uh, Ryan is basically like, "Hey, I'm, I'm sorry." He about did apologize. And then they just they just kind of move. He so he apologized, but they kind of just moved on. So I think this is again them kind of building a case for Luke is redeemable. Luke is a piece of shit, but he has good qualities too, and he's kind of just a teenage boy. So since I'm all in on Luke, I also wanted to shout out the scene with Tate versus Luke. I put battle of the favorites, and Luke's in the doghouse, <laughs> and Tate won't let him in the house because he. Luke knows that Marissa prefers the outdoors, but Tate will not let him into the indoors. <laughs> She's just visiting. This, yeah. So this whole disc, I feel like, is there's a lot of toxic masculinity on this disc. Yeah, and I kind of agree. See, I'm glad you said that. I was going to maybe bring that up. And I was like, I don't know. Well, you there are two lines that I immediately thought of. I wrote these both down, but... Like at one point, I can't remember what character it was that said this, but they said, I couldn't be married to a man who wasn't a man. And like whenever I think that they're playing skee-ball and whenever Anna does a good job, Seth just out of nowhere drops this incredibly inappropriate, well, clearly you're clearly a Clearly you're a lesbian. I wrote that down as they're well. Just, that was so weird. Just, there are just so many aggressive kind of toxic – the toxic – it just gets worse later on on this disc. But this whole idea – you know, of of Ryan just being kind of the masculine foil to the Seth Cohen character is taken like to an eleven on this disc, and in this episode too, where he literally is like seeing someone talking to his girlfriend, and so he decides that oh wait, I know this kid's an athlete, I'm going to potentially destroy his ankle and completely rob him of the potential to get a athletic scholarship to college. That's intense stuff. Yeah, like there's a couple, and I, we don't need to get it too deep into it, but I had a moment today where I was just thinking about how much, because uh, I've been listening to some other podcasts, not about the OC, but just in general, and I, Adam Brody went on a recent like kind of press junket for a movie he made, I guess, last month, and I listened to a couple of podcasts he's been on recently, and he, Adam Brody just kind of sucks. Like, he's not a good dude. He's he's kind of a dick, and the more I watch through the season one of the OC, so Seth has not aged that well. Like, he's his character is mm-hmm. kind of lame. Like, he's kind of a, an asshole. He's very self-serving, but he's not like, he's not like, um, he's not like selfish Jewish in the way that like Seinfeld is, which is like kind of funny and self-deprecating. He's yeah. more like, I'm better than you, and so I deserve more than you. So Seth, it's almost like Seth isn't a geek. 
he's just kind of a prick. I've always thought that like I because I like you like comic books. I like the same kind of music he he used to like. Like we, we like I've never considered myself like a huge geek. So to, for that to be the trope, I don't know. I could go on forever about this. We don't need to get too deep into it. Oh my god, is he kind of like Elon Musk? Like oh. just because Elon Musk likes yes. dork things, that doesn't make him smart. Yes. Uh, also, I was thinking today that like Adam Brody in real life is more is more like his Jennifer's body character than he is his OC character. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'll at least give him ready or not. Like you think that he's rude. He'll occasionally have some redeeming qualities. But did you listen to the specifically, did you listen to the armchair expert no, episode no, with Dax no. Shepard? So apparently he kept talking about how like he was just kind of crapping on the OC, not full on, um, like just aggressively farting on the OC, I guess, where he <laughs> was saying like he doesn't want to always be known as Seth Cohen. And like, I get that. I get like... You know, for actors who play like James Bond or Doctor Who, you don't want to just be known as that. But you've got to kind of be like, but it was an awesome opportunity. And because of this, my career took off. Yeah. And guess what? His career didn't take off. Like, literally, this is the biggest thing that he's done. He hasn't done anything that's even come close. What you just said, Dylan, resonated with me because I thought the exact same thing. They asked him a question like, what about which character do you think would do something, something between your character on Gilmore Girls and your character on The O.C.? And he was like, oh, I don't know. I don't really remember those very well. What are you talking about, dude? Like, this is the biggest thing you've ever done. And, like, I get, I understand not wanting to be pigeonholed as that guy. But you have to know that if you're doing something and you're going to promote it, the people who are going to want to talk to you are going to want to talk to you about that thing. And you can't act like an asshole about it. Anyway, that's my soapbox rant. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm right there with you. It's a soapbox for two, baby. So, um, yeah, we end that episode with uh, <laughs> on, a, on a higher note with Ryan and Marissa making out on the Ferris wheel. I thought that I thought that scene by Ryan was actually acted very well. Um, and like they, they had a good moment on the Ferris wheel set to Paint the Silence by South. Great song. Also, shout out to How Good It Can Be by The 88. Another really good song. Lots of good music in this episode. Oh, yeah. Great, great, great music episode um, that... Uh, cannot be said for the next episode. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. Oh my god, love it. Always on the same uh, us, us co-hosts right now. But That's now, right. do see, I have another horn for the first. <laughs> That's a different episode. horn. How many horns wow. do you have? <laughs> how does that? How does that horn go, Chelsea? It goes. <laughs> I'm gonna start putting those in now. When we switch episodes. Just put it in a little 808 machine. <laughs> yep. So that gets us into episode 10, The Perfect Couple, which features Sandy Cohen on screen for nine minutes. Dylan, what's up with The Perfect Couple? The Perfect Couple originally aired on November 12th, 2003 to 8.28 million viewers. So our numbers are going back up. This one was written by Alan Heinberg, and it was interesting to say the least. I thought I really liked it. I liked all four of these episodes a lot. I thought this whole disc was good, better than the last disc that we did. Um, I did not write my own intro for this. I'll just be reading the one off the website. But I will do what you did last week, Dylan, which I love any intro. And I'm going to intro every episode now by just saying, uh-oh, everyone. <laughs> uh-oh, everyone. Couples are plentiful in the OC. It's a night of firsts. Now that they are free to love one another, Ryan and Marissa plan their first official date. Kirsten sees her father with a new woman and fears Sandy has found a new woman of his own. Seth takes matters into his own hands with a girl and is taken by another girl. Mm. So we start with uh, Ryan and Marissa. Let's start with Ryan and Marissa for this episode. Uh, they start off by making out in the pool house. It's, it's Marissa's curfew. 
she has to be back outside by 11 p.m. Apparently, um, <laughs> <laughs> the raccoons will get her if she's out any later. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. Um, so they're making out in the pool house. It's the first time that we see them, like really, it, it it was interesting to see Ryan in this in this kind of light, I guess, um, not physical light, but Ryan as guy with girlfriend, because as we come to find out, he's never had one before. But also, we only know him as like this brooding, kind of angry, introverted dude. So now he has like the most popular girl from high school, like laying on top of him, and they're just making out. He's pretty horned up too. He definitely wants to do it. Like he brings up, he brings up her staying the night like multiple times in this episode. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So I wrote, I have in my notes. Ryan mentions sp- he goes, he goes, maybe we can spend a whole night together. And Marissa kind of freezes. She gets a little quiet, and he changes course. He's like, oh, like we we should go on a date, <laughs> like a real date, and hang out together. You know, he kind of changes course. I was gonna see what you guys thought about that. I would never say I would never say to a girl we should spend a whole night together. It's it's either implied or it's not. So there are two things, two big red flags, if you will, for me. First of all, it's 11 p.m. on a school night. Ryan, come on, you need to be sleeping. You need to be studying. You're already behind because you didn't do your summer reading. Secondly, not only was this potentially going to be an all nighter, their first date was going to be an all nighter. That's insane. Yeah. Chelsea has document. Ryan has attachment issues. He's very, he's very anxious attachment with Marissa in these moments. Um, So we get to, uh, we head back to Harbor high school. It's Ryan and Seth. They're talking about sex, baby. And magic, the gathering. Yeah. I have that exact note written. Seth's never had sex. Ryan has, Ryan's never been on a date though. His exact quote was I've, I've hung out with girls. They're talking about sex. He, he, he kind of tells like Seth gives him the line. Is just like, what's it like basically, which is a thing we all kind of did. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and he's like, you know, which, which time, same girl, different girl. And Seth's like brain was melting out of his ears as he had this conversation. Um, Seth mentions to Marissa that Ryan has the best date ever planned, even though Ryan's never been on a date before. Marissa comes home from school and she goes to Tate's house and by home, I mean outside. <laughs> she goes to Tate's <laughs> house uh julie's there julie wants to like reconcile she wants to get the family back together and marissa reluctantly agrees to go with her to a charity event for the children's hospital which i'm also hosting a charity event for the children's hospital next week which is plug, way late plug, by the time plug. this episode oh, it's too late for this the time this episode oh, yeah. comes out it was so fun um it was super fun great time it probably it probably happened it may have got canceled because of covid who knows um it was it was socially distanced at a drive-in movie theater by the way just so everyone knows so marissa is going to this event she tells ryan about it ryan's not stoked which i didn't understand because suddenly he's off the hook for planning a perfect date but for some reason he was like not stoked about going to this thing well it's because caleb was going to be there wasn't it i think it was more about julie oh yeah which one who's worse so then we jump we we smash cut to marissa's old bedroom uh, at her old house quote unquote Ryan, where she slept she's <laughs> off to, I, wrote, I wrote she's off to, i wrote uh marissa's optimistic julie is nice this is a rare moment julie hugs ryan they kind of make up i don't know ryan i feel like ryan's bullshit meter is like off is like off the charts he kind of there's some there's some things going on um We'll, we'll get to we'll get to Sandy and Kirsten in a moment, but uh, Sandy and Kirsten are in the kitchen having a, an argument. But then Sandy it kind of crosses over, and uh, Sandy and Ryan start talking about how they have mutual in law drama, which I thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. From there, Ryan goes to take the trash out, and he sees Julie Cooper making out with Caleb Whitmore. <laughs> Sorry, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Nichols slash Charles Whitmore. 
Caleb Nickel. Wow. That's oh. stuck. That is going to be stuck in my head now. He sees uh, Marissa's mom making out with Seth's grandpa. How about that? She sees Ryan. That's my note. Ryan sees Ryan sees Julie. Julie sees Ryan. Dun, dun. Oh, she makes the most evil face too. Like she is furious. She's like, kind of, but right. she's also kind of like, I'm glad you saw. Just I don't think she was. I don't think she was at all. <laughs> I know. I just um, wanted to get close to my microphone. <laughs> he just wanted to make that voice. I'll leave that in just for you. Um, so now yeah. we're on a yacht. We're on a yacht. Ryan doesn't like boats, but we're on a yacht. We're on Caleb's yacht, I at, I think. That's what, I think that's why he got involved. Well, she said he's like a sponsor. I don't know if that meant he donated the yacht or what. The, yeah, I'm sure there's something. Um, I wrote, Ryan's drunk on seven and sevens, which is probably not true. I just made that up. But he is at the bar. And uh, Julie saddles up next to him at the bar and thanks him for his secrecy. He basically tells her to shut up at that point. I don't understand why Ryan didn't tell Marissa immediately, why he waited for Julie to say thanks for not telling her, but then he told her, I guess. Maybe he just wanted to have a conversation with Julie about it first. Well, I think he was kind of, I think he was waiting to see how it played out. And then whenever he just saw Marissa, she was on a high thinking that her family was going to get back together. And she just kept talking about it. So I think that he kept it to himself until he realized like, uh uh-oh, Marissa thinks this is happening and I can't let her Uh do stuff like this. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing when you know why Kirsten doesn't immediately tell Sandy about the thing with Tate because you know if things are going well, if things are going smoothly, the last thing you want to do is be the reason why that other person is upset. And you know, especially with Kirsten, which we'll get into shortly. I mean, she was kind of mad for other reasons, but I mean, Ryan, I don't know about you, Chelsea. I don't know about you, but I feel like in that situation, I would. I would probably do the same thing as Ryan did. I would give Julie the opportunity to tell Marissa. And then if she didn't, I would just go ahead and do it. He didn't give her the opportunity, though. Like, he went to Marissa immediately after his conversation with Julie. Like, I, I would have been like, you know, tell her today or tomorrow. But, like, he didn't give her that opportunity. You have until close of business today, Julie. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's also weird because if you contrast this with, like, a couple episodes from now, when we see Julie and cooking up spoiler alert by the way if anyone hasn't watched the the oc um (gasps) ryan ryan also catch it ryan also sees them before anyone else which is weird that it's happened twice with julie making out with someone and ryan like sees them it's because she wants him to see Uh, maybe but yeah it's like part of a like a zodiac trap (laughs) but um (laughs) i felt like he did the right thing by telling her and it didn't affect their relationship really like he got off like kind of scot-free here because he didn't really do anything wrong but so later on when he We'll get to it later on when that episode comes up, but like for him to not tell her when the exact same thing happens down the road was a little weird for and me. And then inconsistent. And then whenever you know Marissa is up there doing her you know awkward announcement, like aren't they such a cute couple? No, 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 no. How dare you? How dare you? I wrote Marissa still a great event MC. Yeah, she is. She's an amazing. She's amazing when she gives her amazing yeah. spiel about them Thank being you. a great couple. Ryan grins. He was proud. He's just yeah. grinning. He he it it was basically that emoji where the girl throws the match and then the house just like erupts in flames. Yeah, he's a little troublemaker. Wait, that's an yeah. emoji? Do you mean a gif? Did we lose Chelsea? I think we broke Chelsea. Oh no, I'm still here. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> wow, you she's not even listening to us. All right. She doesn't even care. Um, I was just letting you guys rip. So, um, 
yeah, Ryan Ryan had like a smirk on his face. He was definitely proud of he's like an agent of chaos. Whenever Marissa kind of outed them on stage in front of the world slash this yacht. <laughs> you know, when it put, put Marissa indoors and all bets are off. Who knows what's gonna yeah, happen? She does it, it's like yeah. when you capture like a like a deer and bring it into your house, it mm-hmm. just wrecks everything. Yeah, yeah. or like I let Mar- street cats <laughs> into my house when I was in college during that big freeze and <laughs> Why did you do that? I, because it was so cold. It, it was enormous. I mean, there was like 10 days of frost. It was terrible. So I let these ho- these like street cats into my house. And whenever we picked them up, we had to put like oven mitts on. <laughs> they burrowed in laundry. They like shredded a Chelsea, pillow. It was a situation. Chelsea will ignore us while yeah. we're riffing. And then out of nowhere, just be like, oh, I let street cats into my apartment. Not only that, you just, you just compared Marissa Cooper to that. Wow. <laughs> Hey, Dylan started the joke. I nearly finished it. Great job, Chelsea. This is a real real MVP moment for you. Okay. Thanks. Good. <laughs> I have to earn my keep here. So, um, yeah. So Marissa outs them. I get, like, her, her and Julie have a little conversation outside, which I didn't fully understand Julie's plan. Because Julie wanted to reconcile, like, get the family back together. But she was also hooking up with Caleb, right? But, like, Jimmy didn't know about it. And uh, Jimmy kind of throws some shade at... at at uh julie when this all happens but like i get i don't understand what julie's plan was i like i wrote like julie's plan was to get them back together but with caleb question mark but julie's plan is always about self-preservation above everything so we go back to the pool house the final scene of the episode is ryan and marissa back at the pool house he wants her to stay the night again uh and they're just making out again and but she says that this was the best date ever which again i'm confused by like i don't you just found out your mom's hooking up with your boyfriend's adoptive grandfather. I don't know. Best date ever is strong. So I ha- I, th- I think I just realized something, and I'm going to change something that I said earlier in the show about Ryan being a little bit forward, about saying let's spend the night. I mean, I know it's California, but you've got to imagine it's probably getting a little bit cold outside mm-hmm. uh, because it is November. Do you think he was just simply trying to offer the street cat a <laughs> place to stay when it was cold? <laughs> Marissa the street cat. That's where we are. Wow. We're really building a universe on the keeping up with the Coens. I respect this. Um, so, yeah. Um, Ryan adopts the cat for now, as far as we know. We ha- I have this broken down into three parts. There's Ryan and Marissa. There was Kirsten and Sandy. And then there's Seth, Summer, and Anna. So, Kirsten and Sandy. My first note just says, fuck, in all caps. Because this was a, this was a weird, this was a weird uh, like uh, episode for them. I wrote, I don't remember writing this. This was late when I wrote this. I wrote, Kirsten is making dick appointments with Sandy and threatens to start without him. <laughs> there is a lot of like, okay, so whenever I watched this originally, <laughs> I watched it and my sister would watch it. And I always have in my mind like moments where my sister would just go, Mm-hmm. And it's almost always whenever the adult storyline was doing something provocative. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Haley, shout out if you're listening. I think you're listening. Um, but this is a Haley Irwin uh moment uh, with most of this Sandy and Kirsten storyline. They were getting like pretty hot and heavy in a couple of these episodes. There was one scene in particular. I don't remember what episode it was, but there was one scene where they were making out on the bed. The, both their phones were going off. And right before that... She's like straddling him. He sits up and just puts his face in her boobs and just like motorboats her. Yeah, this is <laughs> that's the same. It's the same scene where he says, "I should have found an attractive coworker years ago." Yeah, Sandy's really firing on all cylinders here. He could be a yeah. spokesman for like whatever those like blue chew tablets are. Yeah, I saw her in there. Will you go look for her? I saw I saw her in the pantry last. Oh, I haven't fed her. I thought she said you talking about Marissa. Sorry. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
We're having cat Keep emergencies here. Keep it. No, that's our cold <laughs> open. Oh. Um. So you, I saw her in the. I I thought he. I thought he was asking me where she was, and I was like, I saw her in the pantry last, which is a weird place to hang out with cat for a cat to hang out. But whatever, go off. Um. So Kirsten's like tra- making dick appointments with Sandy, and he like has to cancel, and, and and so she's hanging out with her dad, which is a whole weird dynamic. Um. There's a couple of scenes, which is like Sandy and Rachel and Kirsten and Caleb. Nothing really happens, but then they get to the settlement scene where it's the four the four of them plus a random dude, um, sitting at a table. That's Kate. That's Caleb and Kirsten's lawyer. Oh, is it? I didn't realize that. Oh, so, so, oh, I so, thought it might be like arbitration or something. Okay, so so this is the thing that confuses me. Mm-hmm. So they say it's a settlement conference, yeah. right? And so traditionally, at a settlement conference, you have lawyer for one side, lawyer for the other side, and the clients there with settlement authority, and they're talking about you know how they're going to resolve this case. This didn't happen here. And also, the parties don't really talk. It's the lawyers that are talking on behalf of the client. So in this scene, I have three points that I want to make. One, sure. who does Sandy represent? The Balboa Heights Land Trust. I okay. wrote that down because I was like, I kept saying like the environment. Like I wasn't really totally sure Okay, about that. so first of all, yeah, there's so there's no one there representing like the environment. It's just the two lawyers. So that's a very, very bold strategy for a settlement conference. Two, why is the client, why is Cal doing all the talking, which leads into three, can the Newport Group's like lawyer speak? Does he have the ability to speak? It was a squirrely settlement conference, and I'm sorry, but they don't go that way usually. Well, Dylan would know. You got a lawyer. Boom. Um, this brings us to our outfit of the episode. Oh, boy. Uh, Kirsten wears a nice, like, light blue power suit throughout a lot of this episode. Hell yeah, she does. Um, it looks straight out of Express. This is before they had ASOS. Um, it's, it's fitted, um, so it's not really like a marmy, you know, Hillary Clinton suit. But it's also a far cry from the sexy outfits that the girls in Allie McBeal wore. So, I don't know. It seems like we're entering a new era. Um, and suits are a little less sexy, but they're, they're not unsexy either. We're going to talk about Ally McBeal again in a minute, by the way. That's really crazy that you said that, because I'm going to bring it up again a, a little bit later. Um, there was one kind of, oh like, scene yeah. that was, or there was, one, there was like, a, an exchange in the settlement scene that I thought was just incredible. Um, I was going to read it. I was going to do a dramatic reading for you. Sandy, I'm trying to, I've got to tell you, Cal, I've dealt with a lot of shady characters in my line of work, but I've never seen anyone stoop as low as you. You'll poison anything, the air, the wetlands, even your daughter's marriage, as long as you can profit. Caleb says, you've been living off my profits. Sandy says, if you think I'm bought and paid for, just wait till I get you on the stand. Don't let my silence here mislead you. I'm taking you down. That was so good. Dude, I almost stood up off my couch and just started clapping. Guest writer Aaron Sorkin came in with the dialogue. (laughs) Um, That was beautiful. So we have that incredible. Excellent performance. We have that incredible moment. Sandy comes home. This is the crossover scene with Ryan. But Sandy comes home and just comes in hot on on Kirsten. She's like, she's like, there's pot roast, and he's just like coming in hot, yelling. Um, he's upset. And if we head back to uh, Fancy Law headquarters, and Sandy's working on a Saturday with Rachel the Harlot, is what I wrote. She invites him to the ground with Thai food. She seduces him to the ground with Thai food, um, and then she makes. What I wrote was a very weird attempt to fuck him, I think. Yeah, she kind of like uh, arches her back, so her boobs stick out, and you can see her tummy. But no, she goes into that weird monologue about like all the reasons that they everyone thinks they're having an affair as if like, so we might as well just be having an affair, I think was kind of the takeaway. Like she got nose yeah, to she nose kinda, with like, him. She kind of like crawls up to him like a kitty cat. 
Her back is ours. Like a Marissa Cooper. Like a Marissa. <laughs> like a. She crawls over the exhibits and like breathes pad tie breath into his face, and it was it was a. It made me really uncomfortable. Because she went from, kind of kind of like Anna and Seth. She went from like, oh, I can see there is some wires getting crossed here, but I don't think there's anything going on. And then just a switch flipped, and she was like seducing him. Yeah. Uh, so then back at the yacht, Sandy shows up late. We find out that they won the romantic getaway, Kirsten and Sandy. So good for them. I wore um, my coat. Kirsten tells her dad off because she found out that he's hooking up with Julie Cooper. And then Kirsten and Sandy go home to finally bang. Thank God. The only other part of this episode involves Seth, Summer, and Anna. Uh, I have Anna like Seth, but he talks about Summer too much, which he does. Uh, Summer's getting jealous and decides to bring Chip to the yacht party. Shout out to Chip. Underrated MVP of this episode. Uh, I just wrote Anna looks super hot at the Cohen's house. I don't understand why he's not into her. She's supposed to be, I think, kind of like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but uh, whatever. They get along so well, she tries to kiss him. He does not want to kiss her back. Um, But then Summer kind of pulls him aside, admits that she likes him, hates that she likes him, and then threatens to cut his throat as he's walking off the yacht. That's some weird energy. Um, yeah. I'm into it. I'm into I, it as well. Uh, like, this, like Summer's done nothing wrong. Summer has done nothing wrong. I'm still all in on Summer. I really like Summer a lot. But just the fact that Seth doesn't like Anna, it just it baffles me. Well, I don't understand what went from what happened between the end of this episode to the beginning of the next episode that he changed his mind, decided he liked her. It's like they, it's like they skipped an episode or something because you never ever see that moment of realization when he's like, oh, I like Anna. Like, the next episode starts with it just being assumed that he likes her and they're kind of in them. Okay. So, yeah. I have a theory that I've been forming the beginning of this episode. Before I begin, I just want to say Ryan uh, has my favorite line of the episode, which is, he says to Seth, sometimes I think you talk just to make sounds, mm-hmm. um, which, as someone with now three podcasts, I really, really empathize with that. Um, and I understand that uh, that need and that desire. But anyway, here's the thing. I think Anna is incredibly mean. And I have um, two specific examples, two very big examples. This isn't a comic book minute, is it? It's not a comic book minute. Okay, great. Um, I, Go on. I, do, I do talk about movies, but not comic mm. books. Trigger warning. Okay. Trigger warning, we're talking about film. So there's the section where um, Anna finally tells Seth that she's had enough and she doesn't want to talk about Summer anymore. And right before that happens, um, she actually, I think Seth asks, what do you think Summer's three favorite movies are? And uh, Anna mentions Battleship, uh, uh, Podemkin, Seventh Seal, and um, Shoah, which, so the first one, uh, Battleship, Podemkin, is a 1925 Russian film about a mutiny during the 1905 Russian Revolution. So, okay, pretentious. Second one, uh, Seventh Seal, it's a movie about a game of chess between a knight and death during the Black Plague. But this is the one that I think is just mean. Uh, Shoah is from 1985, and it's a nine and a half hour Holocaust documentary. <laughs> Like, okay, one, Anna's mean. That's the first part. Second part, uh, first of all, I like how Caleb used the words firecracker and moxie in the same sentence when he was talking about Anna. Um, He also said that Seth was built like a pipe cleaner. Seth goes, I don't know what that means, but thanks. And it's like, what do you mean you don't know what that means? Come on, bro. Um, Whenever Seth was saying, Anna, you want to come to this yacht party with me? Do you want to, you know, we can just sit and judge people. I thought that was like, metaphorical but they are literally sitting there talking crap about people and it's mean 
they're being mean about people. You know, I I thought the same thing. Like that used to be, but that used to be a thing that kind of I think we all did, or I know I did. It was like you like people. Remember, people watching was like a thing, and everyone was like, "Oh, we're gonna go people watch." And it's like, okay, and the, the, when you hear someone say, it, you think, "Oh, it's funny," but then when you're doing it, you're like, "Oh, that's really mean." Yeah, I just I think that summer is just better for him. You know, we talk about how how Marissa is not good for Ryan because she kind of brings out this weird, I'm going to give up everything and not care about my future in Ryan. I feel like Anna, Anna brings out this weird kind of vicious, angry Seth that, that I don't think, you know, the character of Seth Cohen is known for in the larger show, no matter what Adam Brody says. My notes go deep. Oh, I was gonna say shout out to Chip. I'm a fan of Chip. He loves the ocean because it's vast and endless. And at some point, um summer also and i don't know if this was like canon in the episode or if this was just a throwaway line where she mentions that he's on shrooms and i don't know if that's a joke or if he was actually on mushrooms but shout out to chip i'm a fan (laughs) um so i will just say there this week real week episode for music uh there was literally only two songs other than um california and they were well there was one song on the boat that was like kind of a show tune song um, there's only two songs and they were both scenes where Ryan and Marissa were making out in the pool house. Um, those two songs were strange and beautiful by Aqualung and some song called breathe by a band called leaves is what closed the episode. I don't know that song at all. I do like Aqualung a lot. I like that strange and beautiful song. So that's my song of the episode. Nice. So here for it. What is, uh, what's, what's, how's that, hor- how's that horn go again, Chelsea? Oh. <laughs> How did I already forget? <laughs> episode 11, the homecoming. We have many horns. We have 14 minutes and 20 seconds of Sandy Cohen in The Homecoming. Dylan, what else do we have? Uh, so first of all, this episode originally aired on November 19th, 2003 to 9.03 million viewers. They're hmm. back up a lot. Yeah, I wonder why. Well, maybe because it was written by Josh Schwartz and Brian O. I, uh, Big Brian O guy. Didn't do didn't do my research. I wonder if Brian O is related to Sandra O. Uh, this is a plug for Killing Eve. Make sure you're all watching it. <laughs> I think this is a plug um, for Grey's Anatomy. It's back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Grey's never ends. It's like supernatural, but with Big real monsters. Um, okay, you guys want to hear about the homecoming? I can't wait to hear about oh, the yeah. homecoming. <clears throat> Pass the turkey. Pass the potatoes. <laughs> Pass the um. drama. That's right, folks. It's Thanksgiving in Newport with Sandy, Kirsten, Tate Donovan, Rachel, Caleb, Julie, Seth, Anna, and Summer all in attendance. What could possibly go wrong? A lot. So much that some of it bleeds over into Chino, where Ryan and Marissa go to visit a strange man in prison who is claiming to be Trey. Just like Charlie Brown, Ryan <laughs> learns the true meaning of Thanksgiving is stealing cars to get your deadbeat brother out of trouble with the faceless prison hierarchy. But wait, there's one last course. Teresa, a fully grown adult woman and the ghost of Thanksgiving's past, to remind Ryan that he was the last good thing about this part of town. Maybe he won't find out what I know. You were the last good thing about this part of town. So, let's dig in and eat so much that our blood, that our blood rushes to our stomachs and we pass out at the table. Good Fallout Boy reference. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow. So, that was dynamite. Yeah. That was a that was a, that was art. That was high mm-hmm. art. Thank you. I uh, you didn't, you didn't take it. My favorite part of that was when you launched into it, you grabbed the microphone and like pulled it in. Oh, I <laughs> I have to. Okay, so yeah, this is a Thanksgiving episode, y'all. Um 
Thanksgiving comes to Newport, and we begin this episode. I'm not doing this as fancy as Ryan did. I'm just going straight through. Um, so we're in the kitchen, and we all everyone, have, we all have our things. Yeah, mine is just talk yeah. as much as possible. So everyone's in the kitchen. They're trying to keep Kirsten from cooking. Also, Rosa's there, by the way. Rosa is in the in the building. Rosa is in the building. Rosa is not having any of Seth's nonsense. Um, Seth just wants to talk about his problems and not even Rosa wants to listen. So everyone is, there are a lot of different Thanksgiving dynamics going on right now. Um, you know, Marissa is supposed to go with Julie and Caleb and Tate Donovan is supposed to go over there for a little bit, but everyone kind of secretly wants to get the Coens. But, uh, the big important thing is this ongoing trope that I feel like is unmerited. Granted, I've never really seen her cook, but everyone just wants to keep Kirsten out of the kitchen. Also, can we just say that there's a moment at the very beginning of the episode where Seth mentions that Thanksgiving is his favorite holiday, which I feel like is bullshit. Yeah, we find out not two episodes later that it is not. So I also, I actually, I have friends whose favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, and they have a pretty good reason for it. I'm still a Christmas guy or a Christmaka guy, whatever you want to say, but... It's because it's all of the fun of like Christmas and stuff, except without all of the stress of buying gifts. So I can get that. But then you don't receive gifts, which is that's that is a very good point. And I just, I mean, the holiday is literally all about eating. Or as as Sandy says, um, you know, you don't your parents don't believe in celebrating the genocide of the American Indian. Which Sandy has like this woke streak where he says all of these super woke quotes, but then never really follows up on them um, because they just still go ahead and continue to celebrate. I feel like that was all of the mid-2000s was what you just said. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Like, you acknowledge it, but, like, are we going to actually do anything about it? Like, nah. It's the John Stewartness of it all. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> they're all over. Uh, Anna comes over for Thanksgiving. That's a pretty big deal. Kind of like Chelsea was saying in the last episode, what is it that happens between the yacht and talking badly about people, and hi, do you want to come to my family's Thanksgiving? Also, I have a theory that Anna also lives outside, but we'll go ahead and get mm. to that later. But so Anna, she's neighbors. You think she's neighbors with Marissa? Yeah, they. Wow. She sits on one area of the park uh, uh, bench, and Marissa sits on the other one. But it's a hell so of a theory. Anna is coming to Thanksgiving, and while all this is going on, Ryan gets a call, um, a collect call from prison because Trey is yep. Ronry and he wants someone to go and spend time with him uh, on Thanksgiving because his mom's not coming and all of that. So Ryan decides that he's going to go and visit this. I say Trey because that's what the character's name is, but that's not, we the know Trey. it's not real Trey. It's not, th- it's not the Trey I voted for. Um, it's absolutely not. And so they go, stop the count. Stop, stop the count. This is not Trey. And so uh, Ryan and Marissa end up going to Chino, and that sets our scene. Oh, wait. No, it doesn't. I forgot the most important part. Tate Donovan is going to show up, and they're trying to hook Tate up with Rachel to kill two, two, hold on, to kill two (laughs) and (laughs) to kill two birds with one stone to get rid of both Tate Donovan and Rachel. (laughs) You can keep all that in so everyone knows. (laughs) <laughs> that I'm the worst ever. This is what um, I have to deal with. This is why it takes me three weeks to edit one episode. <laughs> so, uh, so I'll stop right there for now so we can talk about things that we've observed. So we're going from the beginning to where Ryan and Marissa decide that they're going to jump in the car and go to Chino together. 
I never thought about this, and it maybe it comes up in season two when Trey is around, um, or th- two or three, season two. Um, but like technically, Seth and Trey are also brothers now. Ooh, right? I don't. Th- okay, I don't think so. Only because depending on the adoption paperwork, I think the adoption paperwork only dealt with just Ryan. I don't think it's like you automatically become step. Okay, siblings. so yeah, I guess that because that would also make Seth like Don's son as well, which I guess doesn't work at all. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, didn't so, think I that mean, went through. That's a half baked, half baked theory. <laughs> that welcome to half baked theories about the OC. We're uh, Dylan, Ryan, and Chelsea. I did write that um, Chris Carmack is listed in the opening credits, even though he's not in this episode at all. And Rachel Bilson, oh, Rachel yeah. Bilson, still not in the credits yet. She's still just gets a guest star, and it's after Bonnie, if I can remember correctly. Um, okay, so there is a really, really squirrely thing that happens, and I maybe this may just be like a Mandela effect kind of thing, but it's not really a Mandela Uh-oh. effect if it actually happened. Um, at eight minutes and fifty three seconds, I swear to you that Kirsten says "Hi, Tate." Does she? <laughs> I listened to, to it three times. You know what I'm going to do for this episode? I'm going to go find it. I'm going to put the audio in right here. Happy Thanksgiving. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Good to see you. Hi. Hey. Happy Thanksgiving. Hi. Hey. Hi. So I think she says, hi, Tate. Let us know. Send us a message on Instagram. Send us an email to coenspot at gmail.com. But so that blew my mind, but it did not blow my mind as much as this episode's comic book minute. Oh, God. When Seth is trying to find a lighthearted comic for Trey to enjoy, he picks out Teen Titans issue number one by Jeff Johns, released July 26th, excuse me, July 16th, 2003. This was the first issue in a series that lasted until 2011 and featured Robin, Superboy, Impulse and Wonder Girl. Um, this was also the first new Teen Titans series since 1998. Jeff Johns went on to be the DC Entertainment Chief Executive Officer from 2016 to 2018 and actually helped write Wonder Woman 1984, which is coming to HBO Max this Christmas. Of course, they ultimately settle on The Legion, issue 19 by Dan Abnett, released April 30th, 2003, which is a part of one of the dream crime arc. So we have excellent continuity here. If you remember earlier, um, they were reading dream crime and now they're going to let Trey borrow issue one of dream crime. And everyone, this has been your only comic book minute for this disc. Thank you. Okay, then. Well, you know what? You're allowed to, you're allowed to have one. I want to talk about Anna. I want to talk about how she enters in the house. She drops some words on the Coens. She says anathema, and it blows Danny <laughs> Coen's mind away. She grabs a box of cornflakes. She grabs some sweet potatoes. She's talking about how she's going to make a uh, casserole. She says the kind of adorable, like, the only thing you'll be eating are your words. I'm sorry. Even back then, before we knew Anna was cute, I just thought that that whole scene was incredibly annoying. Ooh. Like, I-, I wanted to punch her in the face. I put that wow. same note. I'm an Anna Stan, as you know. That sounds like a foreign country. Okay. Anna. Well, hi, welcome, welcome, yeah. to, welcome to Anna Stan. We wear a lot of newsboy caps. Her, her voice <laughs> and her attitude annoy me so much. Maybe it's because wow. I'm more of a summer person, but like, you guys can't see this because this is an audio medium, but she's always like moving her neck and talking like this and, oh, well, you're just going to eat your words. And I just, I can't stand <laughs> yeah, it. You're going to eat your words. It's so annoying. And I feel like, I feel like a, a beauty mark appeared on her face out of nowhere. Like, what, was she covering it up up until With now? With all that blush? Or did she, like, draw one on? Like, oh my God, her face is pink. Yeah. 
I don't know. A lot about her annoys me in this episode. I'm I'm trying to go through watching the series as neutral, but now that we know she's cute, it's just kind of hard to remain neutral. I don't know. I found her to be really annoying. I don't get it. I don't understand when Seth on the timeline decided, oh, I'm into Anna now. There's a lot to be answered here. I think they forgot to air an episode or maybe they were like, oh, crap. It's already Thanksgiving. Let's just forget about this episode that explained a lot of plot holes. Now that you said that, I'm wondering, like, now that you've said that multiple times and it makes sense, I'm going, like, what the fuck did we miss? Because there was suddenly, I I thought it was really strange that out of nowhere, Sandy's like, oh, we should invite Rachel, like, off off screen somewhere, Sandy's like, oh, we should invite Rachel to set her up with Jimmy, even though she just tried to, like, fuck me in the last episode, (laughs) like. Yeah, um, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring her around my wife. Like, what a terrible idea. Agreed. Um. My notes this so far through this episode, the ones that are important. Uh, we get another look at Seth's room. Updated poster watch. Yes. He has one for... He has, well, he has The Jam, which is like a 70s punk band. He's got a Kurt Cobain poster, Ramones poster. Fine. Him with Kurt Cobain, I don't really jive. I don't see him being like a Nirvana fan, but it's fine. Whatever. Um, the the two big ones for me were the uh, the very, very tiny Death Cab for Cutie Transatlanticism poster has made its way into his room. Uh, but then the big Rockstar Games logo, which I, I thought was that. interesting because they love Grand Theft Auto in this series. They make a big thing about Tate's hair, which I thought was actually kind of funny. That that scene was really funny where he's like, do I wear my hair anyway? I don't know. I thought it was interesting that Sandy gave Ryan his cell phone. I thought they'd had cell phones. Did they not have cell phones? Does not everyone not have a cell phone at this point? Marissa does, I think, but I don't think Ryan does. So Sandy gives Ryan his cell phone, and then Kirsten gives Ryan an entire pie to take to Trey. Prison pie. Yeah, like, what's he going to do? Is he going to just sit there and eat the pie in one sitting? I don't know. That's why I don't like when people... I'm, I'm not... a nail file baked into there. I'm not like a... Oh, God. That's a great point, Chelsea. <laughs> I'm not like a, uh, like, give me food to take home because I'll eat it at home person. Like, Thanksgiving leftovers, I do not bring them home because because I just feel like there's so much and you have to eat it, like, in one sitting and I just don't do it. An entire pie going to prison. I hate leftovers. Oh. Um, I just didn't understand why... Ryan was so weird about Marissa going with him to Chino. Like if it was my new girlfriend and I'm going back to my hometown and she was like enthusiastically wanting to come with me, I'd be like, that's really cool. Yeah. I I feel like this is a perfect segue into them actually going to the prison because, Mm -hmm. you know, you you have to imagine they're going into a arguably rough part of San Bernardino County where there is a prison full of people potentially that were arrested, like in South Central LA, like high crime area, just a pretty intense area. And they're bringing this dude a comic book and an entire pie. Like he's absolutely (laughs) going to get that stuff stolen and he is going to get absolutely rocked. But so we get to the prison and it turns out Trey has already been rocked because he owes some people, I think $6,000 on the outside. 6K, baby. That's, That's right. six six racks on the outside, <laughs> and by the way, that your uh, your gang your gang fact of the episode is that one rack is one thousand dollars. So six racks would be six thousand dollars. By the way, have you ever heard that Tina Fey rap verse on the end of the Childish Gambino royalty mixtape? No, I don't think I have. Oh my god. My president is black and my Prius is blue, motherfucker. Royalty all day. We dropping racks at Nordstrom, son. That's racks on racks, damn it. You feel me? You feel me? Oh, my gosh. Well, I like the part when when Ryan's like, oh, my God, how did this happen? And imposter Trey is like, come on, man. You know our luck. Uh, the out, old outward luck. <laughs> and like Ryan buys it. He's like, yeah, you're right. We are unlucky. Yeah. So I guess I'll do he's this. Like, he's like, oh, I live in a pool house now and have a gorgeous girlfriend and going to school completely for free. But, you know, our luck. 
So we see imposter Trey. Trey uh, owes some people on the outside six racks. Uh, some of the boys on the inside, his words, um, make sure he doesn't forget that he does. And so he needs Ryan to do him a favor. He needs Ryan to, uh, you know, of course, uh, steal another car. Or excuse me, the car is already stolen. Uh, he needs him to move that car into the bad guy's area. So if this is a GTA mission, right. drive the He's car. Taking it, he's taking it to a chop shop. Yeah, drive the car into the chop shop with mm-hmm. the nice little uh, Power Rangers-style blue light. Drive it right into that. But the interesting <laughs> thing is you'll notice that he says – I understand that reference. He's like, I've got no choice. I, I have to do this for my brother. And my question is, does wh- okay, where is Ryan's loyalty at any given time? Is it just for whoever is talking in front of him? Is that is that what is his moral compass? It, when he said that, like, I have no choice. I have to do this. And then he like gets shitty with Marissa. He's like, I'm taking you to the bus stop. It's like, that's such a bizarre plan. Like, I'm going to make you drive, ride the bus home. <laughs> yeah, ride a Greyhound home. He doesn't think that that's going to cause a lot of questions. He doesn't think that the Coens are going to be like, uh, did you guys get in a fight? Yeah, and there's some amazing foreshadowing because he says, what, you're going to stay here and what, be my wheel man? Because that's literally what she becomes. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, so, yeah, great, great job there, uh, uh, Mr. Schwartz. But, so it turns mm-hmm. out they have to go and meet up with uh, a new character who will become very important later. He meets up with his old beau, Teresa. We know it's Teresa because she has a necklace with a T on it. So it's definitely her. <laughs> of all the characters we met so far who are allegedly teenagers, Teresa is the least believable. Oh, I agree completely. Oh my gosh. She looks like she's in her 30s. Yeah. <laughs> she's wearing like a weird corset with like really tight jeans. Yes. So we're introduced to uh, Teresa. She's the girl next door. Exactly. We got some great parallels here. Um, Except Teresa lives indoors. She does live indoors. uh, So she already has that going for her, I suppose. Um, But you know what? By the way, we're just going to go through. We're going to finish the Chino storyline because this is a good storyline. So they go into the house. Um, you know, Teresa is there. Teresa's mother is there. Ryan is looking for Arturo, Teresa's brother, because Arturo is like a really bad guy who has stolen mm-hmm. vehicles, but he's also a really nice guy. Also, Teresa's mom is awesome. I really like Teresa's mom a lot. She's really chill. Well, this is what I don't understand. How come whenever Ryan got thrown out for the first time, why didn't he go there first? That seems to make the most sense. Clearly, the mom loves him. He's probably just like, it's like he's like, it's a whole thing with Teresa. I don't want her to think it's too serious, so I can't move in there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, the irony. So uh, so Arturo gives him uh, the keys to the car. It's a pretty nice car. And uh, Ryan decides that he's going to not make his new girlfriend ride the bus an hour back to Newport. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, he gives her the car keys and says, I'll take a bus back. I'll meet you back at home. And she gets kind of huffy and, you know, leaves. Or does she? And Ryan proceeds to finish his GTA mission. Um, but when he gets there, you know, there's a little thing called interest that he That's uh, right. that Trey hasn't been paying. And everyone knows that the law of agency means that he is there on behalf of Trey, which means it's his debt too. So it's more than six racks. It's more than the value of the car. And he starts getting beat up. And then lo and behold, the prophecy is fulfilled. And Marissa does, in fact, become Ryan's wheelman. And she pulls up just in the nick of time. He jumps in the car. Chekhov's car. Chekhov's car. Chekhov's very, very <laughs> not, that's prominent. Not, that's not how that works at all. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so, uh, so he... <laughs> 
She does have big like baby driver energy though, or like yes. kitty kitty driver. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he jumps in kitty driver, the wheel woman's car, and they head back with a pocket full of memories uh, to last them through the holiday season. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I want to know what's happening in uh, Newport with Seth oh my and yeah. Ladies. Okay, and so, Tate and Tate and J- Tate and uh, and Rachel. Okay, so here's oh, a lot we, of couples. We abruptly went to Chino, much like Ryan abruptly went to Chino. And so what we left off with in Newport is uh, Kirsten saying hi, Tate. <laughs> Allegedly, then, ale- absolutely. Um, I like that. We'll be like. Marissa's a cat who's homeless, but allegedly she said, hey, Tate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, so back in Newport, oh gosh, we have so many different pieces of drama to talk about. I'll start well, with Well, there's Tate. just so, there's like so many good scenes. All the adult scenes are so good in this show is what I'm yeah. starting to realize. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's because they're acted well or written well, but like the roundtable like, argument with all the adults, oh, like, cr- so like cross-firing, cross-firing on each other, it was so good. Oh my gosh. Um, it's, it's like that scene in Rocky Horror Picture Show. When um, we find out that Jimmy is a Dolphins fan and Rachel is a Cowboys fan, Ugh. I actually looked into this. On Thanksgiving Day, 2003, the Dolphins did play the Cowboys. That yes! is real. And Miami Miami wow. won 40-21. to 21. Take that, Rachel. That's yeah. a nice this, bit this of was, trivia. This was not the Creed game that everyone saw on Twitter oh yesterday. <laughs> that was two years <gasps> previous, but yes. That did take me higher when I watched that That's video. Right. <laughs> um, so I feel like we should kind of take this couple by couple. That's the only way I could think about, um, or couple sure. by couple by couple when it comes to Seth. But so our first couple, of course, is Tate, Donovan, and Rachel. Starts off where Rachel's a little bit upset. She call, goes to Sandy, are you trying to set me up with a white collar criminal and all this stuff? But she, but she even says something like, she's like, you're trying to put distance in between our thing. And Sandy's like, we don't fucking have a thing. Good job for Sandy. And I like that yeah. how she called him out on it and Sandy did not back down. And it turns out, you know, that it was actually a pretty good idea because um, much like Seth and Summer have so much in common, like they like burritos, uh, Tate, Donovan, and Rachel have so much in common in that they enjoy watching ESPN Classic. So uh, that goes off without a hitch for the most part. Uh-huh. That's couple number one. Uh-oh, who else is coming? Who else is showing up? It's <laughs> Uh-oh, Ca- everyone. <laughs> Uh-oh, everyone. It's Caleb and Julie Cooper are showing up uh-huh. because, of course, their caterer's car broke down, I guess. Um, Chekhov's catering. And they... Uh, they <laughs> I will say, I have used Chekhov's gun. I've used it the right way once, and I will never use it the right way again in this podcast. So they show up, and that adds Chekhov's off. opioids was right, by the way. Yes, Chekhov's opioids was right. And I also think that Chekhov's okay. model home was right. So we, we right. got it. That's we right. got it. Um, we, kind of, we kind of know what Chekhov... Uh, was about anyway so the coopers uh julie cooper shows up and caleb nickel shows up and this adds a whole bunch of fun new stuff to this law school professional responsibility hypothetical that sandy finds himself in and surprisingly caleb is pretty chill about the fact both lawyers who are suing his company are in the same house as him. Yeah, like he's hanging out with Rachel and Jimmy watching football, which I thought was a really funny. There was like a two second scene of the three of them just watching football together. I was like, that's a fun trio. I want, <laughs> I want more. What on earth would they talk about? I want more. 
And then spin-off yeah. series. Julie, of course, shows up and she causes all kinds of trouble. And um, and but there's also that cool moment at the end where when Ryan and Marissa do come back and Julie starts to almost get angry and Caleb kind of intervenes, just like, "Hey, it's Thanksgiving. We're not doing this." That's just yeah. Let's move on. Caleb yeah. is slowly kind of becoming what Luke was, where you want to hate him, but then he kind of does something really broy, and you're like, "Okay, God, I miss I miss Luke." I know. The only thing that could made this episode better is Luke's presence. What do you guys think Luke was doing for Thanksgiving? He was hanging out with his picture-perfect family that's still picture-perfect at this moment. So, it is Thanksgiving, so I want to get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. <laughs> wow, God which damn is, it, Dylan. <laughs> Jesus. Which is the Seth, Summer, and Anna fiasco. So The, the thruple. As the thruple. So, as Seth says, contrary to the penthouse letters, two girls, one guy is not all that it's cracked up to be. So, sure. he has Summer in the pool house that den of sin where so much else has happened. And he has Anna in his room and he is just, he's Bert at the, at the beginning of Mary Poppins. He's playing the trumpet and he's playing the drums at the same time. (laughs) He, uh, so he spends some time, he goes and he makes out with summer for a while and has that creepy, this is happening. This is really happening. This is happening. And then he leaves because of beans. Then he goes and sees Rachel. Who's being very Rachel. Rachel. Wow. (laughs) Plot twist. Chekhov's Freudian slip. <laughs> He's everywhere. So he goes into his uh, his bedroom where Anna is, and Anna is being very strange with Captain Oates. And okay, this is another example of how annoying her voice is when she goes, "I was playing jingo with Captain Oates, and wow. he doesn't have a posable thumb." And I'm just like, oh, "I hate it." Oh, it's like a little babe. She's like, "I'm gonna." She she almost says things like everything goes upturned, kind of like she's asking a question. I was playing Jenga with Captain Oates. Oh, I hate it he so much. His lack of opposable thumbs. Like, oh, she's so bad. So anyway, he doesn't care about that. They still make out on the Jenga pieces. Ouch. Um, so that happens. And uh, then he falls off the bed and, of course, makes a joke about this is the second time this has happened today. And she's like, what are you talking about? Um, and so he, of course, then ditches her for cauliflower. So we're making our way through the periodic table of food. Is that what it's called? The, yep. No, the triangle. It's food a pyramid, pyramid. The food pyramid. Thank you. The I like periodic, periodic table, table of food. food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's all beans. Um, so he's just running back and forth and back and forth. Things get really heated around the kitchen. That's when uh, we have the great Aaron Sorkin dialogue of zinger after zinger after zinger. And then Kirsten, who is getting incredibly day drunk. Oh, yeah. Um, Respect. And talk about foreshadowing. She has now drank all the wine and a switch to margaritas. Well, we had this debate last night. Me and my husband were watching this episode. And um, whenever we all saw this for the first time, I know that we all probably just thought that this was like a cute little bit. Um, just like, oh, how funny, Kirsten got drunk, ha, 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 she's like a house mom, and look at her. Um, but whenever you go back and watch, I mean, she almost never doesn't have a glass of wine or some kind of libation in her yeah. hand. So, I mean, I think this is a little bit more planned out than what we took took it for the first time we watched it. So, um, the uh, so Chekhov's turkey is burned, uh, <laughs> causing a fire, a small smoke um exhalation from the oven so that of course uh, sets off an alarm and you have anna coming in from seth's bedroom mm-hmm. and you have summer coming in from the denison pool house well there's a great there's a great scene where sandy goes to the pool house see summer she calls him an attractive dad and she says he's distinguished <laughs> that so yes. I feel like this is a perfect time to talk about Summer's strange relationship with the dads um, mm-hmm. in this show. 
because it's like I can't figure out if she this is in a really early episode where she, of course, is walking around without a shirt on. You know, one friend doesn't have clothes. Another friend doesn't have a home. Um, and Marissa says something like, ooh, my dad's here. And Summer goes, so? Like, and then I think she refers to Tate as hot. <laughs> We've referred to Tate as hot a lot more than she has. <laughs> well, guilty as charged. Lock me up, guys. Um, but so, yeah, she has this amazing scene where... Uh, Sandy goes back to the pool house and Summer is there, I guess, assuming at first that it's Seth, then gets really, really flustered. And yes, uh, in turn calls Sandy a very distinguished uh, and hot dad, which leads to a conversation between Sandy and Seth, which is one of my favorite Sandy and Seth interactions in this first season, Mm -hmm. which is Sandy not judging Seth at all, but just excited that his, I guess, nerdy Jewish son has two girls over at thanksgiving so this goes back this goes actually goes back like two episodes ago when ryan's talking about how marissa has her thing and he needs his thing and he's like and seth has his women and sandy's like seth our seth yes seth, our seth, 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 cohen? seth cohen yeah so he has this conversation he's like you can't keep leading anna on just tell anna you like summer and he's like well and he goes okay well then tell summer you like anna and so it's it's a real pickle guys it is and so the uh the klaxon goes off uh indicating that there is something on fire in the house and all of seth's women uh spill into the kitchen and we have this great moment where anna goes seth summer and summer goes anna and they both go seth and it's pretty great. And Kirsten, drunk Kirsten, says something like, I always knew you were a late bloomer. <laughs> so that was Thanksgiving. Um, on a scale from one to to Cohen, how chaotic do you all think your Thanksgivings are going to be this year? Uh, zero. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, I'm, I'm staying at home. I, got, I have a turkey and a ham for me and the two other residents in my house. That was a test. And uh, I'm actually going to bring David Holt out here. Uh, Mayor Holt, you will hear that. <laughs> It's, uh, oh, and Bar- and 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 Bynum. Bynum's here too. Sorry, what if I? What later. if I? Yeah. What if I was like, yeah, I can't wait. I'm gonna go big family gathering. The police just show up to my house. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't steal a car. This is like um, to catch a predator, but it's like to catch a spreader. Yeah, to catch, <laughs> to catch a, a pred spreader. spreader. Um, very, yeah, very quickly. I thought it was very weird that the episode ended with the trio of Marissa, Ryan, and Seth. Like that was kind of awkward. I think a little bit. Um, because usually it's like a core four. Usually Summer's there or some, someone's there. Up to this point, if you're Seth, if, if if you're Seth and you had to choose, who are you choosing? I, I still think Anna's the move at this point. I'm, I'm pro-Summer. I mean, he's liked her for forever. The whole reason why him and Anna even started engaging with each other was for Summer. I mean, I he'll, he says it later, you know, in an episode several discs from now that it's always been Summer. It seems like Anna's kind of a distraction. Well, I think you know you're right, and as the as the series goes on, I you realize like, oh yeah, no, it is summer. Seth and Summer are the couple, but at this point in time, I feel like Anna's the right move. So this is legitimately something that I, when I first watched the show, that I thought about a whole lot. Um, as you guys know, I was a really big Anna fan until this most recent viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, and aside from her being annoying, I think it's because I I kind of know the end game and and all that. But I think I've got to agree with Ryan because at this point. Knowing nothing, you have so let's let's look at Summer. What has Summer done for Seth? Summer has kissed him and said, You're sweet, and that's legitimately it. She even said, I'm in love with I, I like Seth Cohen, I don't know why, in the last episode, and don't tell anyone that I'm kissing you or I'll kill you. So that's what Summer's saying. Anna is showing up 
Anna is cooking and helping the family. Anna is saying yeah, um, impressive point. words to the fa- to the family. If if I'm Seth at this point, I'm going to choose Anna simply because she she's checking all the boxes. But this goes right back to what Ryan said, which was guys want to be chased by girls who are not into them. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. And that's got true. they'll laugh at girls when they're not funny. End of the episode uh, was the montage you talked about of all the couples. Scored by Orange Sky by Alexi Murdoch. Um, a great song. Another great song that I just really took away from the soundtrack. It was on the OC Mix uh, Mix 1. This song by Alexi Murdoch was also featured on House MD, Prison Break, Dawson's mm-hmm. Creek, and Garden State. So a big song for that era of drama. It also oh. was spawned the name of an Australian laundromat, I later discovered. There's an Australian, there's a laundromat <laughs> in Australia named Orange Sky, and they named it after this song. Uh, also, also, wow, Alexi, really? yeah. Uh, also, also, Alexi Murdoch has a song that's also really good. It's called "Life Is a Song," and it is the final song that we will ever hear in the OC in the series finale. Alexi Murdoch was for me what South was for you. I didn't discover his music until this show, and then I just became obsessed with it. Where Where is he now? What is he doing? Do you know? I will look into this. You guys can continue your conversation. I've got some deep diving to do. I love Ooh. it. Well, real fast, um, after the day, nothing's exciting, but I just wanted to point out Seth's argyle sweater and collared shirt combo. Oh, yeah. This becomes a bit of a signature look for Seth. He's always either in this this combination or a graphic tee with the track jacket combination. Um, they put him in this outfit because at the time it was kind of nerdy boy chic, but that kind of launched the look and, you know, it was pretty accepted in the mainstream after this. And you kind of saw guys from all different kinds of uh, subcategories wearing that look. So I don't know. I think it was a big fashion moment, bigger than what we appreciated at the time. Quick update. Alexi Murdoch has done nothing since 2009 in music, but he is very active on Instagram where he posts a lot of photography of clouds and uh, oceans. So there you go. All right, team. It's time for episode 12. Episode 12 is called the episode 12 is called the secret. Uh, it features Sandy Cohen for nine minutes and 22 seconds. What else? What else we have Dylan? So this originally aired on November 26, 2003. And guys, I got some bad news. 6.9 million viewers. Nice. That is a drastic drop. So you don't have to rewind. We went from 9.03 million viewers to 6.9 million viewers. And yes, nice. Um, this one was written by <laughs> Alan Heinberg and Josh Schwartz. So what do we need to know about The Secret? Well, I'm going to kind of break this one down the way that Ryan likes to, with kind of an A, B, and C plot, because it's so distinctive in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get to that, I want to talk about the very opening scene, which is uh, Seth dancing in a robe to the music moment of the episode. He's dancing down the hall to We Used to Be Friends by the Danny Warhols. And that icon, I mean, I feel like during that time period, 2004, 2003, we were all just learning what a gif was. Him in that robe dancing was the thing. I mean, it was that image that was super iconic to this season and to the set, the character of Seth Cohen. Um, but as far as the A-plot goes... Well, let me just say, I wanted to say a couple of things here. Um... Dandy, so earlier today, when I, or earlier today, earlier in the show, when I mentioned I was going to bring up <laughs> Ally McBeal again, I... Got the wires crossed in my brain. And by Ally McBeal, I meant to say Veronica Mars. Oh. Uh, because this was because uh, Danny Warhol's We Used to Be Friends was the theme song to Veronica Mars. 
Um, but I never watched Veronica Mars, and this was my first introduction to this song. The song was also on one of the OC mixes. I think it was maybe mix one. But I, this song sent me down, and I've talked about this before. This song sent me down at Dandy Warhol's like K hole. Like I got really obsessed with Dandy Warhol's after <gasps> I heard this song, and I started listening to more and more and more of them. They were like a really like iconic underground like early 2000s indie rock band and uh i got really into them and i got really into this documentary that they made that someone made about them called dig dig it's one of the best music documentaries i've ever seen it's about the danny warhols and this other band called the brian jonestown massacre and just like their relationship it's really fucking good and shout out to the danny warhols this song gets played multiple times in this episode like three or four different times so to start the story out uh luke and ryan and marissa are all in history class together and the teacher announces that they have a group project to do and somehow Luke and Ryan get paired together. Despite the fact that Marissa passed him a note that said, we could do the Crusades question mark? <laughs> oh yeah, Marissa was prepared to do this group project. She meant literally. But like, not only that, we later found out that she had previously talked to the teacher about pairing her and Ryan together. Like they talked about that. She's like, I, t- I, I told him this would happen. And I was like, that's really weird. Oh man, that's doing the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ryan's kind of nervous. They, they meet and Luke is just like, oh, because by the way, I was thinking we could do this and this and this and this. And then you realize he's coming on kind of strong and he's like, oh, or we can just, you know, whatever you want to do. But Ryan is, you know, reciprocates and Ryan's like, oh, no, 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 that sounds great. Before we move on, can we talk about how out of control Luke's bedroom is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyways, they pull up to Luke's house. They walk in and it is this like beautiful, chaotic, picture perfect family portrait. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, his brothers are running around, like, you know, wrestling each other, playing football. Uh, the mom comes out. She's just the perfect hostess. It's this beautiful house with this huge, like, spiral staircase. And then Luke's dad comes home, kisses his wife on the cheek, like, goes and plays with the boys, invites Ryan to go to a USC football game with them. 2003, USC, Notre Dame was the game he invited him to. He invited him to go tailgate. And that was the year that USC split the national championship with LSU after LSU defeated Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl. Wait, was this was this like the Matt Leinart era, or is this a different yes, time? Yes, Leinart was the quarterback for USC in 2003. Also, shout out to the two brothers, Luke's two little brothers, because they become big, big players in season four. Um, and they are like two of my favorite characters in season four. They are wonderful. I know. I love that they, they kept that in. You know, it was, it was a really nice Easter egg. Mm-hmm. But um, Ryan and Luke, they, they start talking. They go to the bedroom. Dylan has some strong opinions on Luke's bedroom. Yeah, this bedroom is insane. I think I counted like five surfboards and a whole bunch of like extreme like sports posters. And it was it was like it was like you went into a Hollister before Hollister took its Adderall and realized it wasn't a pack sun. That's a very rare aesthetic. <laughs> it's it's the Luke aesthetic. That's a mood. <laughs> Luke also mentions his power book, which I respect. An old yes. School, an old school Mac fan from 03. <laughs> they're working on their project. They go to Luke's dad's office to print something. And while they're there, they witness Luke's father and his male business partner smooching. Gus. So they're teenage boys. They, they kind of clumsily run away. They accidentally like trigger an alarm. They get the hell out of there. Luke's dad kind of looks around the corner and sees that they saw him. 
Um, like Luke basically gets in Ryan's face and he's like, you better not tell anyone. I, why did they run away? Like the alarm's going off. And it's a Mustang Saline, by the way, which was like a very cool <laughs> car when I was a kid. I was very into the Saline. Shout out to Gran Turismo. Um, but they, they, I don't understand why they ran away. Like clearly the alarm's going off. He sees them. They're like looking at each other, but they're still running away as if they, like maybe they won't get seen. Yeah. I, I mean, so it's, it was a fight or flight moment. I can understand why both of them would just have absolutely no idea what to do other than just run away. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get to it and I know we'll get to it, but this was just another episode where like Seth had some, some jokes, some gay jokes. They were just oh, like, dude, yeah. you're an asshole. No. He's like such an asshole. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That just didn't, uh, yeah, that, just, that aged very poorly. Um, but the next day, Ryan's kind of quiet at school. Marissa asked him what's going on and Ryan, you know, kept Tries to keep his promise to Luke, but eventually he relents and tells Marissa what happens. Uh, meanwhile, Kirsten and Julie are signed up for some kind of yoga lotties week long treatment. Great cold, great open to the show, by the way. That's like one of my favorite. Yes. <laughs> Is yoga lotties uh, just bar three? No, different. Oh. It was a, a, a relative to that. Gotcha. But, um, no bars were involved quite yet. But Kirsten arrives and uh, realizes that the whole Karen squad, including <laughs> Taryn, and didn't call this out last time, but it, I think it's no coincidence that Taryn and Karen rhyme. Ooh. Uh, but they're all making snide remarks and joking about how hungover Kirsten must be. Are we supposed to believe that this is Black Friday? It's the Because it, if she's that hungover, it's the day after Thanksgiving. No, right? I think that we're supposed to believe this is Monday. But for some reason, I guess apparently her hangover in school. just lasted three days. I don't know. Sometimes that happens to me, so maybe I shouldn't judge. That's what I'm but. saying. That's why it doesn't make sense. Like, to, they really think she has a four, three, or four day hangover that she's still nursing, and that's why she won't come to a workout class? The, the insinuation was that she had drank that much on Thanksgiving, which means she must have a drinking problem, so she's probably been continuing to drink and drink and drink and drank that last night as well. Because the Black Friday thing, I mean, this show doesn't really care about timelines, as we've as we've seen with the comic books. But um, mm-hmm. the fact that they're all in school, well, they reference in the well, they reference in the opening, the Yoga Lottie's opening, that like Kirsten is hungover, and like Sandy says, well, you drank a lot on Thanksgiving. She's like, I had three glasses of wine. Seth throws mm-hmm. up the ten. So it's like, ooh, like that had to. Like, it feels like that was the day before, mm. and she did. She does still know. seem kind of tired. We've got questions. It's strange. But anyways, Kirsten, not super happy with Julie because Julie snitched on her for uh, partying a little too hard on Thanksgiving. Um, But later, when this news starts to circulate about Luke's dad, Julie and Kirsten suddenly bond with each other. It hurts both of them to their core to hear the Karen squad making fun of, you know, Luke's dad, someone who they both admire and love very deeply. This is the most toxic masculinity crap ever because this is this point when the Karen squad is talking in the locker room which ironically enough it is locker room talk they're they talk about like how <laughs> have you yeah. seen his arms okay so having nice arms means uh in 2003 that that you're gay um crying in musicals crying at the lion king i cried in the lion king yeah one of them goes he never made a pass at me and he's like <laughs> that's what i think about every guy who doesn't hit on if, me if, if a guy doesn't hit on you and he has good arms and you have on good authority that he cried during hamilton i guess that means he's gay uh kirsten and julie escape the um the the noopsies to go i, I i'm assuming to a hooters to eat wings no do you not know where they went no where'd they go dylan where'd they go where did they go they went to the crab shack. Oh, they did. 
Yeah. No. That's the Crab Shack? Yeah, they're, the wait, the waiters were all wearing the same shirts that Ryan okay, wore. The, the, the reason I was genuinely confused is because what an my egg. note literally says, is this a new restaurant or the same Crab Shack? It's the Crab Shack. Oh, the servers are wearing the same shirts. Was it a new location? Well, I wrote down that I assumed that they were at Hooters. Good old Crab Hooters. Uh, anyways, oh, they have kind of a heart to heart in this moment. That's a new and STD. Julie starts telling Kirsten all the issues that she's having with Caleb. Basically, what's going on, um, Sandy has talked to the uh, DA, and it sounds like Jimmy can stay out of jail so long as he pays restitution, which is going to be about $4 million. So they really need to sell the house. So I guess mm -hmm. that Julie comes and talks to Caleb about that to see if he can kind of help him out. And Caleb breaks up with her. He says he never miss, mixes personal life with business, and Julie's kind of like, okay, well, I guess this is just ended. So Kirsten really opens up to her about her father, kind of gives Julie the background about how her father has processed things ever since her mother died. I don't know, it's just kind of a nice bonding moment between the two of them. And I think probably one of the first signs of the strong friendship that develops between the two of them. It's on purpose that they use that Dandy Warhol song over and over again. It's called We Used to Be Friends. And it's um, oh. an interesting part of this episode which i think is kind of beat over the head is that there's like a lot of new friendships forming we get kirsten and julie and i'm sure we'll get to it we get um luke and ryan we also get anna and summer yes which brings us to our next point uh over in thruple world oh boy uh both of the girls uh anna and summer are both upset with with seth and to kind of you know twist the knife a little bit more they become fast friends and are suddenly inseparable they are walking to every class together. They go to the library together. They're studying together. But I don't think they're real friends, though. They're friends with benefits, but the benefit is making Seth uncomfortable. <laughs> Speaking of benefits, oh I learned something from these friends with benefits. I learned that King Philip comes over for good sex. I heard something about uh, about uh, about Marissa. I can't remember what the acronym was about Marissa, about her preferring fish. Kitty prefers fish. Uh, I'm not a cat person. <laughs> During one of these adorable, um, you know, Anna and Summer is the new Thelma and Louise moments, we actually get the <laughs> outfit of the episode. During one of the scenes, Anna rolls up in a fuzzy pink beret, green tights, a khaki pleated skirt, and a lacy tank that is kind of layered with like a fitted tee. It's kind of a weird look. I have a point of contention, very strong contention. It's not a comic book minute. Don't worry. It's not a movie minute, but it is, I guess. I was about to, I was about to shut my laptop. It's not technically nerdy anymore, I don't think. But Seth just, he says something that is just so wrong. He refers to Anna and Summer being friends as that's like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader teaming up to destroy the Emperor. That's literally what happens at the end of Return of the Jedi. So I am beginning to question if Seth is actually geeky or if, like we determined in the last couple episodes, people don't like him just simply because he's not nice to them. All right. So rumor gets around the school and Marissa comes up to Ryan and she's like, oh, my gosh, everyone knows. And Ryan immediately goes off on her. Yeah. He's like, I know. And the reason why is you. Did you tell Summer? Who did you tell? Someone found out. Um, Luke takes it out on Ryan as well, assuming that Ryan is the one who spread it. He doesn't just take it out on Ryan. He like he throws it. He, he's oh, an he asshole to Ryan. He's an asshole to Ryan at school. Oh, he calls God. Seth another gay slur, which is like just a hard overcorrection on his part. Um, so like cool, <laughs> cool head Luke is not as cool headed as we would have liked in this episode. No, and then so some of my favorite recurring characters are the two guys that just come up with really terrible things to say, and they come back in this episode where they're talking about Luke, and they say his. I heard his favorite shows are Dawson's Crack. 
and ever Woody, which okay, this <laughs> oh is my God. this oh, is I forgot mine. Okay, God damn it, go ahead. This is this is something that we were talking about in the text group. If Everwood the show exists in this OC universe, that means that Chris Pratt as an actor exists in this universe, which means that the fact Chris Pratt is in season four of this show and Summer, or I guess anyone, doesn't make any mention of it whatsoever, that creates a paradox in this show. Because if you've established that Chris Pratt's character in Everwood is a character in this timeline, the fact that Chris Pratt cannot exist as any other character. That's why this show was canceled. First of all, it's not. So, uh, can I tell you, <laughs> I had such a similar moment. I forgot to bring it up in the first episode that we went over. or No, no, the second episode, the perfect couple episode. And I wanted to bring this up. Um, and I'm not going to re-edit it to put it in there, but I'm just going to say it, that there's a moment where they're back when they were back at Marissa's house and Julie's hugging Ryan, where they talk about the dress that they bought at the mall and that day specifically. And they go, we saw Catherine Zeta Jones at the mall that day, like some throwaway line, which was very strange. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's like telling Ryan about the fun day they had. Right. I mean like clearly like Rachel, uh, Rachel Bilson. Summer mentioned Tom Cruise in the previous episode, which I feel like he's kind of iconic enough that like he exists in all universes. Um, yeah. But for Catherine Zeta-Jones to exist in the universe of the OC means that Ocean's 12 exists in the universe of the OC, which means Bruce Willis exists in the universe of the OC, which means that the Sixth Sense exists in the universe of the OC, in which, oh. yeah, Misha oh, Barton had a part in. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I did some six degrees there. So she truly doesn't have a home because she's <laughs> dead. She is, an, she is a oh dead ca- stray cat. Oh my gosh. We've Thank you again, Misha, for doing the cameo for the show. Big fan. Thank you, Misha. Oh, man. I'm really happy for you guys. I'm super happy for you guys. Sorry, Chelsea. So another thing that happens towards the middle of the episode is that uh, Sandy and Jimmy are golfing. And Jimmy lets slip the incident where he kissed Kirsten. I didn't let it slip. He was, like, acting cool. He was just like, thanks for being so cool about that thing. And Sandy's like, wait, what thing? He's like, oh, you mean Kirsten didn't tell you? But then he just proceeds to tell him. Like, I was like, if he, if Sandy comes back at me with like, oh, what thing? Then I definitely on the spot try and improvise a different thing that's way less severe. Oh, but what would you make up in that moment? I feel like I would be under so much I would have just made it weird to be like, oh, you know, I'm just talking about the money, the money that you gave me. Just wanted to say thanks again or something, you know? Oh, okay. That's a, that's a good thing to blame But no, he tells him about the kiss. He tells about the kiss between him and Kirsten that Kirsten never told him about. So something interesting is throughout the episode, um, you know, Sandy and Kirsten are kind of combative and upset with each other. And as I'm watching this with my husband last night, he pointed out, he goes, you know, Kirsten is kind of moody and sullen throughout the entire like first and second season. And I never noticed it until he said it. But now looking back, that's all I can see. And I, you know, asked him a little bit more. I was like, well, what do do you think that fear, like how, how does that fit in? And he was saying that he kind of felt like it was them pointing to her very privileged upbringing and how that's just kind of, you know, she was used to things that they were the way they were, and she had very much first world problems. But it's so true that she is never really happy and content at all throughout the first or second season. Well, usually one, that happens when she's drunk, and two, the, the <laughs> scenes where she's not happy is when she's not drunk, which is signs of a problem. And the first two seasons, it's funny you mentioned that, because the third season is when she gets sober. Oh, and then she's she's happy and peaceful all, the whole time. Yeah. Also, Kirsten had new bangs in this episode, and they look really good. Okay, they were in this episode that it happened, yeah. right? Because I, yeah. I legitimately just have a note that says, wait, when did she get bangs? This episode. 
So the final act of this episode, you know, when everything kind of comes together, uh, Marissa and Ryan both uh, separately go to Luke's house after school to check on him. And it's kind of a really sweet moment because Ryan knocks on the door and Marissa answers it. And he, you know, they're like, what are you doing here? And Marissa goes, you know, same thing, same reason why you're here. So Ryan, you know, walks in the house to support Luke and they're, you know, seemingly perfect house that was full of rambunctious boys and a happy wife you know suddenly people are very solemn the wife is crying the dad is doing everything to try to hold it together um eventually luke kind of storms out and marissa and him and ryan go to a uh, baseball field and it's a really sweet moment because luke is venting he's kind of pouring out his heart talking about how upset he is you know thinking about the weekends where his dad was out of town or late for a baseball game and how he's wondering, like, was he with a boyfriend at, the, at that time? Is this boyfriend his first boyfriend? Has he had multiple? Yeah, Luke's not homophobic. He's just he's just mad at the fact that he's his dad has been lying and, like, living this other life and, like, technically cheating. I guess yeah. a lot of cheating on his mom. So that's what he's, like, upset about. Anyways, uh, Marissa leaves to go get a hoodie. And Ryan starts talking to uh, Luke and just says, you know, at least your dad was there. My dad was never there. I don't know who my dad is. Uh, right as they kind of start talking about that, uh, kids from a neighboring school come up and kind of start. The Del Vista boys. Yeah, they, they start oh. tossing out the insults. Oh, and Del Vista. There's like this great moment where both Luke and uh, Ryan punch out the guys like in unison. It's really satisfying. I wrote that had Zach Morris, Zach Morris, AC Slater vibes. It did. It, it was so satisfying to see yeah. them both do what they do best, which is punching people, but put for a force of good and done in unison. Like that was super satisfying. Um, so anyways, that happens. They, you know, Luke presumably gets beat up. They, Marissa and Ryan take him back to the house. Um, Sandy calls, uh, Luke's dad and, um, Kirsten overhears Sandy giving Luke's dad just the pep talk of all pep talks. The dad to dad speech. You know, the thing that really just give, gives him energy, you know, tells him you need to be here for Luke. This isn't too late. You need to stand up in the community. This is a moment. And sure enough, you know, Luke overhears as well and goes up and gets his stuff. So he gets his happy ending of Luke and his dad reunite peacefully, happily to see each other and go home together. Um, so I don't know. I th- This episode really solidified Luke as a part of the gang now. Since you took music at one point, I'm going to take music this time and just say my personal music moment uh-huh. was that amazing Jet song at the very end Move where on. they're all walking. Yeah, where they're all walking forward together um, as this new fab foursome uh, to move on by Jet. I That album lived in, in my six disc changer. Um, to, to kind of bring the episode full circle, um, the in the adult storyline with Julie and Kirsten, after the talk with Kirsten, Julie knows what to say to Caleb when she approaches him next. Basically tells him off and tells him that he's missing out on something really special. And he agrees with her. So he ends up buying her house. Oh, yeah. So this is wonderful. It ties everything together because now Jimmy is no longer in legal trouble. Jimmy can use that money to pay off um, all the restitution. And Julie gets to continue living in her house. Mm-hmm. So wonderful, happy ending for them. Meanwhile, Seth approaches the new two BFFs, uh, Summer and Anna, and gives them a very earnest apology. Really? I thought his apology was garbage. Oh, I didn't like it, but it moved the okay. girls. I mean, I, I would have seen through that shit, especially since he apologized to me at the same time as the other one. Yeah, exactly. But then it gets even more weird. because so, so they split, and then they both approach him separately, and both are like, oh, that apology was amazing. By the way, you want to hang out this week? So Summer beats Anna to the punch. So he agrees and they have a date set up for Saturday. Mm -hmm. Anna then does it and he's like, oh, well, actually I'm hanging out with Summer. 
And Anna does this ballsy thing where she goes, what about Friday? And he agrees. Okay, I he will. Agrees. Hang on, hang on. We're gonna we're, we're gonna fight. No, Seth's off the hook at this point. He was fully transparent with Anna. He's like, "Hey, I'm going on a date with Summer on Saturday." Anna's the one who says, "Well, what are you doing Friday?" So this is no longer Seth's problem. It's so impractical, though. I mean, have you guys at any period of your life ever dated multiple people at the same time? Because I oh, never have. God, yes, I've I've did it like I've done it like multiple times, like this year. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. I I did not. You're not in an exclusive relationship with them. It's like you're going on dates, right? To see if you like them or not. Well, I guess this is my issue is because I was in high school, which like that was kind of hard to pull off in high school. That would cause a lot of drama. And then I was in college and in college, you don't really date. You kind of like hook up and, you party and you up hook up until you become yeah. an item, you know? I'm saying as an adult in my late 20s, early 30s on dating apps, especially, it's very easy to find yourself in a situation where you're dating multiple people. Okay, well. I've heard that like modern dating um, is that's kind of more the thing to do. It's like there's not an exclusivity agreement if you go Absolutely on a date. Not. Okay. I um, I don't think, I, I think the last date that I went on was with Leslie in like 2016. And so I'm operating on old software. But I'm kind of in the same camp as, as Chelsea is, especially in high school. Where like, at least when I was dating in high school, like around the age that, that Seth is and Anna and Summer, it's like, if I go on a date with somebody, I am dating that person. Yeah, I, like, I had my husband no. in like 2012. No, 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 no. So, I mean, I, I never had a Tinder or a whatever. Mm. I, I mean, yeah, I'm operating on an old system too, so. <laughs> a lot of the people that I go on dates with aren't from dating apps, but I have gone out with people from dating apps. But um, I, there, I remember there was a, like a week last year. First of all, weekend dates for Anna and summer to both want weekend dates that's like a big deal for me um but there i remember there was like a week in 2019 before covid obviously where i there was where i like i went on a date every weeknight with a different person it was like five nights five different people and then from there you just kind of choose the three that you like the most ryan loves the tinderellas there's a show on netflix called dating around it's really good and every episode is just one one person going on a date with like three or four people and then they choose who they like the most and they go on from there well, I, my question is, like, how do you afford that? It is it is expensive. It is very pricey. I would not survive dating. It's fun. I would be so bad at it. Or I'd be amazing at it. And I'm not sure which. I'm, I'm glad I never, ever had a Bumble or a Tinder because I just, I don't know whether I would thrive under those uh, conditions or not. Now, now we can just believe that I can, so... I had a t- I had a Tinder for one week and I accidentally super liked Uh-oh. somebody and I got Uh-oh, so everyone. Uh oh, everyone! Dylan super liked somebody and I uh, I I uninstall I uninstalled the app. I turned my phone off and I threw it across the room because I didn't know what to do. That's totally normal. Totally normal. Insane. Um, I just have a couple of notes I want to run through from this episode real fast to, before we close it out. Um, Caitlin's still around. She's just kind of hanging around. We see her on the yacht at one point. Um, I think she's still played by Shailene Woodley. I wasn't paying close enough attention. Yeah, she gives Ryan the cold shoulder, but that's yeah. the only line she gets. The day after Luke and Ryan see the dad stuff, um, Marissa comes over and immediately is like, well, what did you guys talk about? Did she talk about me? What did he say? Which I thought was interesting. When she comes over from there, she also apologizes for being late because she slept through her alarm. And I was like, okay, Marissa, good one. We know you sleep outside. She means the birds in the trees. Yeah, the birds were a little late today. (laughs) So stupid. That's a great joke. Um, But um, end of the episode, when, what's Luke's dad's name? Carson? His name's Carson. Carson, yeah. Well, Carson's like stoically staring out the, the Cohen's back door. 
Kirsten comes up to him and goes, do you want anything like a wine, a scotch, a Xanax? And I was like, dude, Kirsten has issues. <laughs> like, holy fuck. Yeah, Kirsten's the plug. Kirsten Woo. can get you the Xan. Um, and finally, we learn that um, Sandy apparently has a not-so-hidden porn stash on the Cohen's PC. I have one more very important observation about this disc. It's not a comic book thing. Don't worry. I feel like I'm going to have to preamble. Like, that's the preamble for everything. But I forgot a note in the Thanksgiving episode, and I think it gets down to the heart of why I, although I understand why Seth would pick Anna, why I'm ultimately Team Summer. Mm-hmm. And whenever Anna is laying on Seth's bed and talking to Captain Oates about a rematch in that creepy little voice. She has the dirtiest feet I have ever seen. (laughs) Oh. Like, seriously, there are two things that you need to do after you listen to this episode, everybody. Well, I guess maybe one because we we spliced it in. But go back and watch the Thanksgiving episode. (laughs) Yeah, Google it on your work computer. No, but like go back and watch that Thanksgiving episode. Listen again in real time to Kirsten saying hi, Tate. And then look whenever Anna goes, would you like a rematch? Really quietly to Captain Oates. Mm -hmm. And it's unnecessary. It's just (laughs) unnecessary. Everyone go to Samara Armstrong's Instagram and DM her send feet pics. Oh my gosh. Pun- yeah. Yes. Uh, punishment for being a cute oh, person. She's, she's super QAnon, so she deserves yeah, it. Yeah, totally. I, um, all right. I, how do we gracefully close this out? I think that, I think we did good. That was fun. I, this is the first time I've had fun doing this show. <laughs> and we, we're like getting into the good episodes now, so we don't have to like give so much context yeah. to everything. All right. Well, hey, good job, guys. I'm proud of us. That was uh, disc three of the OC. Um, so we're doing things a little different, a little different next week. Because it is, of course, the holidays. It is, of course, Christmaca. Uh, I think I'm the only one technically allowed to say that. So keep your mouth shut. Um, and uh, so next week we're going to do. Uh, we're going to break it up a little bit. We're going to just do Christmaca and the New Year's episode. Um, the New Year's episode, by the way, is my all-time number one favorite oh, episode of the OC. Mine too. Um, we're doing the Christmaca episode and the New Year's episode to tide you over for actual IRL Christmaca and New Year's. Um, and then we'll be back in 2021, the first week of 2021, with um, the last two episodes of Disc 4. Is that correct? Did I do the math yeah. right? I think so. So you only have two episodes. If you're playing along at home, you only have two episodes to watch this week. And we know it's busy. It's the holidays. So we'll be back uh, to talk to talk Christmas next week. I'm very excited. It's, it's, a, it's a festive time, guys. I'm really excited, too. But... I will get sentimental because it is it is the holidays, at least for you all and for us, too, because we timed it that way or almost the holidays. But um, I really look forward to us getting together and recording on Mondays. And I, you know, whenever I listen to podcasts, I always um, think that chemistry and whether or not the hosts are having fun really dictates if I'm having fun. And so I really hope that you all are having a good time listening to the show. I hope you're I hope that you're enjoying it in the way that uh, that 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 works best for you. And if you really like it, um, I mean, feel free to give us a rating or give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. That's all I want for Christmaca. And I'm sorry I said it, Ryan. I hope you took no offense. But honestly, uh, yeah, just if you have the time and the inclination, um, we'd love it if you gave us a rating or a review. And if you have any questions for the show or, uh, you know, we know that this is kind of a weird time. It's a lonely time for everybody with social distancing on the holidays. And so, I mean, honestly, if you just if you just need someone to talk to or you just 
you know, are, are feeling lonely, feel free to shoot us an email and we'll be happy to talk with you. We'll be happy to see how you're doing. And we're all in this together. But uh, but thank you all so much for listening. And um, I hope that you've enjoyed keeping up with the Coens this week. Peace, y'all.